Coming up next, the booking debates Ender's game and provides a state of the show address. Welcome to the Booketing. My name is Nathan. We are back, baby. We are back and better than ever. And that is actually true because Brandon drove all the way to Evansville. Not today, but uh, within the last couple of weeks, he drove to Evansville. We got some delicious pizza at Pangea World Kitchen. Pangea World Kitchen. If you're ever in Evansville, I highly recommend that you go to this top place. Top five. They top five. They, they serve, weirdly enough, Detroit style pizza which is delicious, and also sort of Sicilian-style pizza. They, they, have, they have a couple different styles of pizza, but then they also do Napo- like... Or, ne- yeah, Napple... Neapolitan. Ne- Neapolitan. Neapolitan-style pizza. Yep, sorry. And then uh, they also serve Thai food. And then they also serve Thai food, and it's all and fantastic. And they have a separate little bakery that sells macarons and cheesecake and some other things like that. Good macarons. And anything that you order is delicious. Everything but is perfect. We sat there, we ate some Detroit-style pizza, and we discussed the future of the show. The show, of course, is The Booketing. I am your humble and obedient host. That's Jake Menzel. He has now, for going on seven years, been the pastor who's a master. Maybe it is, has been seven years. I don't know. 2013, I think, we launched. So, hmm. yeah. I think so. Am I crazy? Yeah. Like, more like 2016. I'm gonna look it yeah, up. You, started. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm crazy. 2013 is like when me and Jake launched uh, the the Warhorn magazine. I think. I don't know. It's yeah. I was gonna say like, we, we were like just becoming friends probably around 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fine. Not we've all been friends for the ten years yet. Yeah, but we've been friends for going on ten years. Whereas the booking, we've been friends with our patron with our listeners and patrons. Since 2016, looks like our first episode came out March 1st, 2016, which means the show is 16, 17, 18, well, nine, six years old, 21. I mean, we actually, I was right. We are actually going into our seventh year, year, basically. Yeah. But But March 2020. About to hit our sixth anniversary. Right. Wait a second. I'm terrible at math, but. March 2016, March 2017, March 2018, March 2019, March 2020, March 2021, March 2022. We're about to hit our seventh anniversary. But you carded, no. Am I crazy? We're starting our seventh. You started this with, with 16 and you're counting, but we hadn't done anything yet. So you right, need so to start first... with 17, oh. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, makes so our sixth anniversary coming up you're saying like the day of your marriage doesn't count if you as were your first born anniversary in, right if you were born in korea then you were born one years old but right that's not how we count things here in america is that All how right. they do it in korea well i'm sorry yeah they well they just they just mark it by you're in your first year so you are one that's fascinating i didn't know that yeah maybe i'm a sleeper agent for korea maybe that's what we're revealing today that'd be a nice sixth season twist be a really weird way to spend your time if that's the case. Hey, I've been subverting people through 
podcasting or something like that. I don't know, guys. Speaking of subverting people through podcasting, have I ever introduced the rest of any of us? I'm Nathan. I'm your humble, obedient mm-hmm. host. That's Jake. He's the pastor who's a master of reading. And we've got Brandon. This is his sixth year as the scholar who's a baller of books. That's right. And we were going to record in person today, but Brandon has COVID, which is very sad. I hope he survives. <laughs> he seems really down and out right now. Yeah. I got a PCR test this morning in protest. Mm. Still hasn't come back yet. So mm. Rest in PCR test. Rest in power. Yeah, you know what's fun is that with the new CDC guidelines, my PCR test results will come back one day before I would be off quarantine anyways. So I'll save myself a day. Hey, well, there you a go. A day is a day. A day is a day. A day is a day. And today is the day. And the day that today is, is the day that we announce the future for the bookening going forward. So Brandon came down, we ate pizza, we discussed the fate of the show, and it would be telling tales out of school not to say we put everything on the table, up to and including cancellation, because we weren't really, I don't know, guys, I don't want to knock, I think we did some good episodes in 2021, but where would you guys say the, st- the show was going into this discussion? Rocky. Rocky. And I don't mean like, like we Rocky were coming out and fighting. We were training to fight Clubber Lang. No, I don't mean coming out and falling to fight Apollo Creed or anything like that. I mean Rocky in, is it the fifth Rocky where he's kind of on his downward slide? How many <laughs> the movies are, are definitely on there. It was, uh, it was a subpar year for yeah. us. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I think there's a, there's some gems in there. I don't want to... So it's hard talking about your own work because sometimes you want to self-deprecate, but then you're like, there's people out there that liked it. And so you don't want to accidentally grab them in the deprecation net. But I think, I think we you all felt like- You idiot for liking this thing that we think is terrible. Yeah. yeah How dare you like a thing that we did? So I think there's some good episodes. There's some fun episodes. I think we had one of our best comedy episodes when me and Jake were talking about, <laughs> still makes me laugh, the uh, Evansville's love for- <laughs> Walter Wangerin, <laughs> uh, Brandon, but we had about a half an hour of pure malicious sarcasm towards Walter Wangerin. That was pretty fun. And all, all the fans of uh, Walter Wangerin really uh, appreciated that, I'm sure. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. But it was a lot of fun. And and we talked about King Arthur and we, we did some good stuff this year, but it wasn't what we wanted. I think we, our eyes were bigger than our stomachs in terms of our ability to do the show long distance and keep things fresh and find a way to schedule things. Jake is a full-time head pastor of a church with something like 80 attendees on on any given Sunday these days. I help out with that church and I do lots of other warhorn things and we've not even been having services for a year yet so it's just sort of everything's fresh and new and things are constantly changing so there's that side of things and Nathan running all things uh, podcasting for Warhorn and Brennan being the a lazy CEO of, of a successful company and uh, father of however many kids he has. However many. many kids. Too many. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why they make adoption agencies. Yep. yep. Goodbye, Elliot. So anybody <laughs> want, yeah. Anybody want Elliot? <laughs> <laughs> if anybody out there wants Elliot, Named after the great T.S., if I'm not mistaken. That's true. But unlike the great T.S., this Elliot is more of an athlete than a poet. 
<laughs> well, there you go. If you want more of an athlete than a poet, name good Elliot. Good one, too. Good athlete? Yeah, he's pretty dedicated. He just got himself promoted to starter on his basketball team. Hmm. How they do when they uh, played my son's school? Not well. What was the score of that game? I forget. Oh, okay. I actually do. I just had, I don't, I don't remember. (laughs) Sure. Well, Well, listen, I'm not sure my extreme apathy does me well, any credit. (laughs) My, my understanding is that our seventh grade team beat your eighth grade team by over 30 points. That sounds right. I I actually, I seriously, I don't remember. Yep. The future of the world is a boot stamping on the face of your. So the the rivalry here. The, the interest in the rivalry here may be one-sided, Jake, but I'm glad for you. Well done. Good. Hey, you know, we were just talking about the relative athletic abilities of our children, and I just thought... I don't think that's what we were doing. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of you relative you abilities... You a competition of your son versus no. mine? I, I did. I, I, never, somehow, I never once mentioned In my own kids. head? I think this might be a picture of what's about to happen with this debate. <laughs> My apathy is just going to carry right over. Because, listen, guys, we have to get to the debate, which means we have to finish discussing the state of the show. So 2021. That's the big thing for this episode, right? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 2021. We, we want did, we people did, to get excited by this. Well, excited by the fact that maybe I'm about to announce that we're canceling the show. They don't know what's coming. They're just sitting and here I in keep suspense. keep interrupting you? Yeah. <laughs> so far, they say know something we worthwhile that maybe he wouldn't have to interrupt you. I hope nobody interrupts the tears gushing out of my eyes right now. <laughs> yeah. Listen, guys. So we sat down. We discussed the show. We discussed what we wanted to do moving forward and how we could continue. And we were all, I don't know, somebody else talk and say, say what happened. We were willing to put everything on the table, including canceling the show. That's the truth. We were willing to uh, say we'd rather be done and say it's been a great run and we've all grown. and. Life's taking us in different directions, and we're grateful for the opportunity and the ways it fed our friendship and fed our, fed our hearts and minds and ways we're able to serve other people. We really just wanted it to be something that we could walk away from if we wanted to. We didn't want to have to keep doing it because of money. We didn't want to have to keep doing it because we've always done it, and we didn't want to agree that we were just going to uh, continue delivering what we think is a a subpar product, something that just isn't getting the best of us. And so it was all on the table. And we talked about a bunch of different ways forward. And ultimately we decided. The thing that we decided. Yeah. The thing that we decided. We decided we love the show and we love each other and we want to figure out a way to make it work and make it awesome again. And so we came up with a plan. Right. And the plan is basically this, less episodes. We are we are going to do longer, much more high quality episodes, <clears throat> at least one a month. So we'll still be all recorded live and in person. As all recorded to- live and in person, which, you know, the whole Zoom thing, I'm not saying anything that the culture at large hasn't already said, but that just proved to be a little bit difficult and we found we just weren't getting the same relational dynamic which i know is what a lot of people love about the show is being friends with us and enjoying our friendship and it's one of the things that we this this show has always been about three friends who like books just as much as it is it is about the books themselves 
much to the frustration of some people who want it to just be about the books themselves, but it is about us and about processing these things together. And so we would like to continue doing it that way and giving you the best of what we're able to bring to that, which means doing something, if you're familiar with our show Sanity at the Movies, a little bit closer to that. We, we, we do less episodes on that show. We don't do every one, one every week, but those episodes tend to be longer and more in-depth discussions of a movie. And I think we'd like to do that with the booking where you'll get the Pride and Prejudice episode this year. And it'll be long and it'll contain context and baggage and everything that you've come to know and love from the booking. But we'll, we'll have a full discussion as opposed to kind of dividing it up into bite-sized chunks. So you won't... And, and then, I hope, we'll be able to do some bonus episodes and some little things here and there to fill in the gaps as we're inspired, as we're able, you know, maybe some one-offs with me and Jake or with me and Brandon or even, even with other people. But the thing you know you're getting is one big meaty helping of booking every month. And yeah, is there anything else to say about that? I mean, if you think of, if, if you're a listener who's been here for a long time, the show began with us having one big discussion. Right. That we then later subdivided into episodes. And then we got comfortable enough and had time enough and space enough and found enough footing that we thought, oh, you know, we just should record these as separate episodes and get sort of on a weekly schedule and be as current as we can. And we, we did that for a really long time when we were living together in Bloomington and it worked. That just hasn't been working as well from afar. So yeah. that's the thing ultimately that needed to change. We needed to reshape the show around the fact that we're best when we're in the room together with each other. And so fewer episodes, higher quality content. We think that's the way forward for us. Yeah. As Brandon almost, <laughs> almost knocks over his, his microphone, higher quality content like that. Yeah. Well, we're not I'm, in the same room now. So yeah, hopefully this, this will be the last episode that that's the case. Yeah. Maybe there'll be some fun little bonus things where we, we get together over zoom because that's the way to do it. But, but, but the primary backbone episodes will be together. Right. We've got a really exciting book list, which I don't think we're going to get to do like a book list episode under this new format. So should we just announce the book list? Yeah. Right now? Yeah. Probably like right. a quick, should we do a quick rehash of I'm our last year? I'm really excited it. of you need a rehash of last year's. Yeah. Like I'm really excited about this year's that. book. Yeah. We normally do something super fun. We've got like a oh, fantasy draft or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of thing that will become the little in between the crack bonuses as we're able. Cause I don't think we're going to do a fantasy draft right now because we got to get to Ender's Game. But uh, we might find that we have time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. If Ender's Game only gets us three minutes of discussion, like the Prophet of Doom over here <laughs> is saying, maybe then, he's saying he's got all kinds of time since he's stuck at home with COVID, Nathan. Yeah, th that's probably what he's saying. Is like uh, I've got all the five-hour episode. I'm gonna keep getting closer and closer to my computer. That's that's fine. You get as close to that computer. If we can just see, what's the inside of someone's mouth called? The uvula? Yeah, if we can just see your uvula. That's my preferred me method of podcasting. Okay, recap. Well, so we actually still have some, some of last year to get to, so we still have to do Fathers and Sons, which is yes, coming we soon. We still have to, I guess that's it. We still have to do Fathers and Sons, but... Well, we're uh, behind on Dickens. 
Yeah, well, Dickens was our January episode, so we're behind on that. Let me see here, folks. But I think they're actually getting flipped to later next year so that we can stay faithful to having Austin in February, right? Yes, Austin. I think the next big episode you're going to get from us is going to be a meaty episode of Jane Austen. And I am excited about that, as anyone would be about a meaty episode about Jane Austen. Not excited about the phrase meaty episode of John of, of Jane Austen. Not and happy. You keep that, saying it. Yeah. Well, it's it's self-deprecating, I must admit. And if anyone liked the phrase, then I am happy for them to be caught in the crossfire of my self-hatred. So last yeah, but 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 what's exciting is Jake has listened to a lot of our original three bookending episodes from 2016. And he has encouraged me to do the same. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to listen to what we say. I'm going to extract a few of our arguments and quotes. And we will actually be fighting with ourselves or maybe just patting ourselves on the back and saying <laughs> what, what a great job we did. And wow, guys, that was really insightful. But we will be in dialogue with three gentlemen named Jake, Nathan, and Brandon. And um, Very different gentlemen six years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I cannot imagine that that episode goes by without me commenting on my matrimonial prospects and which... Yep. That's not the episode where we try to decide who he should marry. No, that was or... Mansfield Park. Right. But yeah, Nathan's definitely going to be on there talking about how he would never marry an Elizabeth mm-hmm. and how he would hate <laughs> Elizabeth in real life. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, Just a fanny for me, guys. <laughs> well, we yeah. we did that on Mansfield Park, but... You definitely, in this Pride and Prejudice episode, get into all the reasons why you hate Elizabeth and Elizabeths and stuff like that. I remember that. I think Nathan doth protest too much. Yeah, well, I Uh, protested all the way to the... You like to make fun of Kira Knightley's cheekbones? Yeah. Well, I mean, my Mr. Darcy. My Mr. Darcy. We'll talk about it. We'll we'll, we'll (laughs) re-litigate it, as I like to say. That's a great movie. Hey, uh, Jake I, just watched I, it. I'm, apolog- I'm I'm ready to apologize for it just a little bit. You know, I was with you until I reread the book, which I didn't really do until the last couple of days. And then I was like, no, no, sorry. I remember <laughs> thinking the movie's just fine until that ending. It's really, I think the whole first act holds up really well. And then I think the second Whatever act is, is Matthew pretty McFadden, good. And he does fine as Darcy too. I, I think all the, the big mistake is they just said, hey, Let's be realistic. There should be sexual tension between these people. I don't mind the sexual tension. I don't mind the rain. I don't mind the mud. I don't mind the romanticism of it. I don't really mind the cheekbones. I I think she's pretty cute. But I I just don't like shy, likable Darcy. I think he just needs to come off as more of an ass from the beginning. And the movie tips its hat and, and that ruins i mean that's just that's that is an unforgivable sin whatever the other qualities it's funny it's artfully done if it was just a movie a lot it's great casting all the way around except for maybe matthew mcfadden i mean i also think the movie just has more sympathy for mr and mrs bennett than book mr and mrs bennett deserve Uh, maybe mr bennett it does for sure but i don't know that it does for mrs bennett am i remembering wrongly that it wants doesn't it want to give you that moment where she just kind of sighs and we see like this is a woman who's desperate to find good matches because that's the only thing that a woman can do like doesn't it just give her something that the book doesn't give her just a little bit of okay i'm like this but society broke me i don't think so i think it does a great job of making fun of her 
like Lydia, she's in bed moaning and, you know, about Lydia. And then she finds out Lydia's going to be married and they do the like, she sits straight up into the camera mm-hmm. and perks up and starts dancing, you know, going around the room in a way that's just cringe. And well, the thing I did say to Jake is none of my social set was into Pride and Prejudice, at least the way I remember it, when we were first talking about that book and when that movie hit. And everybody really loved the movie, and so I felt more threatened by it. Now, in my world, the novel has so won that there's just no reason to be threatened. But you know, the movie and the movie is old, and nobody cares about it anymore. I mean, people still care about it, but it's been a while since I've been to a wedding that uses the stupid theme from the movie for the uh, processional. So I think the last one that I went to was my brother's wedding, actually. So in any case, the movie is less of a threat, so I could probably. I can probably give it some more points and be happier with it and just enjoy it for whatever qualities it has. Collins and Mrs. Bennett are probably the two best things about that movie. That and the casting of Keira Knightley as Elizabeth. Yeah, she's she's great. Also, Pirates of the Caribbean is so far behind us that we don't have to hold that against her anymore. She was pretty obnoxious. That was an obnoxious franchise and she was obnoxious in it. Not exactly her fault, but the character of Elizabeth Swan is not really one of the great female protagonists, in my humble opinion. Anyway, and Pride and Prejudice. her name. Yeah. Well, I know Jack Sparrow's name and William Turner's name, too. Hmm. Son of old pop- Bootstrap Bill. The son of Bootstrap Bill. Anyway, we're not here to talk about, we're not here to talk about Pride and Prejudice, for that matter. Actually, we're here to talk about, did we finish our state of the show? I guess we finished. Can we close that tab? Yeah, let's close it. Okay, that tab is closed. The, but I feel like there's a tab that was open before Ender's Game. Oh, right. The the announcement. So bidding goodbye to 2021, and hello to 2022. So, if you guys had to make a fantasy draft, well, here let me just from 2024. 2021. What is your favorite book and your least favorite book from 2021? I will give you the list here in a second. And if you had to make a fantasy draft, who would your hero and villain be and what would it be about? So we read The Brothers Karamazov. Yeah. Northanger Abbey. Mm-hmm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Invisible Man. Oh, now that's a good memory. That was a fantastic book. Actually, we did read some fantastic books in 2021, to be fair. Watership Down. We did. It just uh, lagged on its way out. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we kind of broke down as the year went. Uh, Book of the Dun Cow, Howl's Moving Castle. Howl's Moving Castle, which I think we have made a lot of Howl heads and a lot of like friends and children that I know are, are now like Howl heads and what's her face heads. Yeah, Diana my youngest daughter's read all three Howl books. Yeah. Yeah. My son, Jack. Yeah. Diana Wynn yeah, Jones might. That's what I was going to say. Diana Wynn Jones is. She takes the W a for the huge year. Huge comeback in our circles because yeah. of uh, us reading because Hell. Because of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is just the truth. Mm hmm. Daphne Demure's Rebecca. That might be the. Uh, uh, Hamlet. Mm. R- Room with a View. Yeah. Call of Cthulhu. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Og, schnapp, schlappy, bop. Forgot about that. Cthulhu, Cthulhu. Hey, you guys will both like that just fine, to be fair. And then Ender's Game, which we'll discuss today, and Fathers and Sons, which we haven't gotten to. 
So I actually don't we know what really, map. Yeah. And if I had to pick a least favorite, it would be Call of Cthulhu. A least favorite? Um, Sorry. My least favorite is going to be Rebecca, I think. Yeah, I was going to oh, say. yeah. That's so least... I, I don't want to offend anyone, but that's so least favorite. I even just forgot about it. <laughs> I, I I liked Rebecca just fine. I think Rebecca's good at what it does, but it is my least favorite from that list, I think. Guess what? What? That's kind of just... That's my take on... No. no we're, 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 we're getting there. We're getting my there. take on that. It, we're yeah, getting Rebecca's there. just fine, but it's not my cup of tea. Actually, that little if bit I, of run where we did... Invisible Man, Watership Down, Howl's Moving Castle, and Duncow was really fun. Yeah. Well, we did Charlie right before that, too. Precisely. What did we do the, right before Charlie? Northanger Abbey, which was fine, but I think the uh, least of the Austins. Yeah. And it was coming off of Brothers K, which was something of a downer. Brothers K is the book that I would least want to reread from that list, which I think Brandon will disagree with. Yeah, no, that's like my actual... Stuff. Which one? Brothers Karamazov. I, I just don't like Dostoevsky that much. Is the one that you would least like to reread? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. So I do disagree heartily. Yeah. Well, scintillating podcasting right here. <laughs> you know, I can't, as far as what my actual favorite book was from last year, I'm going to say it's a tie. Or, or maybe I'll say there's the adult category, which it just has to go to Invisible Man. I mean, I, 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 I think that book is a masterpiece. And then the children's category, I'm going to give it to Watership Down because that book is also a masterpiece. Yeah. The only problem with picking out of those two books is if we threw something into the mix that if you are making a time capsule of Western civilization, um, it has to take first place. No matter how you feel about it. That's Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. Hamlet's going in the time capsule for sure. Like but if you just had to choose a winner from this season or that had to go in? Yeah. Like the sun is a sunstroke is about to kill the earth or not a sunstroke. <laughs> a sun, <laughs> a sun flare. Yeah. Solar about flare. To, yeah. Solar flares about to burn the earth to a crisp. Mm-hmm. We can put one thing. We can the save capsule. one thing. It has to be Hamlet. Yeah. Book of the Dun Cow. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. But in terms of just favorite yeah i i'm right with you and i probably lean towards watership down just because i would prefer i give preference to the thing that i could share with my kids yes yes i mean watership down was just great i mean invisible man felt timely and uh, yeah i don't know how to quantify that invisible man certainly has more r-rated stuff yeah it's all cows moving castle also has some prophetic it's really great. Owl's Moving Castle, you were, yeah. Yeah. it's the dark horse, yeah. Owl's Moving Castle is a masterpiece. I mean, there's part of me that you wants know, to so give it- You know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, the only reason Charlie and the Chocolate Factory isn't getting more love is because of over-familiarity. If we didn't know that story, if we just like discovered it for the first time, if we hadn't seen the movie yeah. a billion times, we would be discussing it up and down. <sighs> that was a strong run. I mean, that was a really strong run. Yep. <sighs> I was so pleasantly surprised by Charlie. Yeah, I was too. Because I was also pleasantly. I've not really ever taken much to roll doll before. And so I just don't have a good, just don't feel like I like him. And then that book was delightful and funny and went in a great direction. And Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, if I, I still think if you want to combine 
delicious style with profundity with yeah it has to be invisible man yeah i mean invisible man is in many ways the best book the best entertainment would land somewhere between watership down and how how's moving or how's moving castle really is it's really delightful yeah it's not as iconic as watership down but maybe that's it would help if uh, what's his face made a better movie yeah, it's too bad if he had. Yeah, uh, could have if he hadn't cast Billy Crystal as Calcifer. Yeah, or I heard Disney Steve. or whoever cast the the thing on the American Shore. So, by the way, assuming we put Hamlet in the time capsule, here's our time capsule. I wrote it down last time we had this discussion. Pride and Prejudice, yeah. Anna Karenina, yeah. Charlotte's Web, East of Eden, The Lord of the Rings, and Hamlet have all gone into the time capsule. Things that have been passed over, War and Peace, To Kill a Mockingbird, Huck Finn, My Antonia, Remains of the Day, Never Let Me Go, Emma, Macbeth, King Lear, Watership Down, and Invisible Man are all being fried by the apocalyptic sunstroke. Yikes. Guess it's fair enough. We What what did we give it to over War and Peace? Lord of Is the this Rings. a year by year? It can't be a year by year because you put East of Eden in there. Well, here's what happened, and I'm not—I don't have like a complete history of this. I'm sure it exists on one of our episodes, but maybe one of our listeners can tell us. So, Pride and Prejudice was what we put in for 2016. Anna Karenina was what we put in for 17. Obviously, I'm with it Sh- so far. Charlotte's Web for 18, was, and then was 18 that bad? Or were we just that on to Charlotte's Web? I think we just wanted to save Charlotte's Web. I mean, we did love Charlotte's Web, and Charlotte's Web yeah. is pretty lovable. Yeah. See what uh, and then to. 2019, we chose not to put any book from 2019 in there, but to actually use that slot to rescue, to go back and rescue East of Eden. <laughs> I actually have in parentheses, rescue written next to East of Eden for 2019. Fair enough. I'm so 18 would have been Mansfield Park. I don't know how Ready Player One didn't make it in. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Remains of the day, Fahrenheit 451. The Odyssey we passed over. I mean, I can't say. All of Harry Potter. Looking back through 2018, 2018 was a really weak year. The King Lear, Harry Potter, The Odyssey, Charlotte's Web, Remains of the Day, in Mansfield Park. Those are the good ones. Those are, those would be like the candidates. Yeah. Well, and Ready Player One, of course. And Ready Player One, yeah. Yep. But we also did Till We Have Faces and A Wrinkle in Time. and So I can I can see why we pulled Charlotte's Web out of that year. 2019, what did we pass over to go? Was that, that wait, 2018 was the, no, 2018 we saved Charlotte's Web. 2019, we went back in time. Yeah, 2019, we rescued East of Eden. So we passed over Great Gatsby, Persuasion, More than Alice, happy Jane Eyre, Catcher in the Rye of Mice and Men, The Old Man in the Sea, Witness for the Prosecution. I have no regrets so far. All of the Chronicles of Narnia we let burn. Got to make hard choices when there's... Uh, Little Women, The Hollow Crown... So all the Henry, the Henryid, basically, bunch of short stories, including the Willow, Midnight's Children, we let burn. That's sad. I mean, I'm, I'm not happy that the world's being destroyed by a sunstroke, but sometimes it's got to happen. Did, did we count War and Peace in 2019 or 2020? We must have counted it as 2020. Well, if so, uh, we decided Tolkien to take over. Lord of the Rings over it, which I regret. I, I, I did too. That was a mistake. I, do, do you guys want to? I think we've established we can retroactively make swaps. Do you guys want to 
burn Lord of the Rings and put War and Peace in that capsule. I can't imagine Brandon's going to argue with I that. Mean, sure I mean, I'm sure I can imagine the argument we had. I think I vaguely remember it. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was surely that we had Tolstoy and we're trying to pre- preserve a wide range of things. And so let's have the, the adventure fantasy. fantasy. Like we have the best adventure fantasy thing of all time here. And we already have a, well, the best Tolstoy in our time capsule. And I bet we chose not to go with The Hobbit because we already had the best children's book. Yeah. But I would prefer to reread The Hobbit or War and Peace any day or Sense and Sensibility any day over The Lord of the Rings. Just going through this. Can we save Since the Lord of the Rings is so long? To Kill a Mockingbird. We <laughs> we passed over To Kill a Mockingbird. Wow. You know, yeah. Kill Mockingbirds. We talked ourselves into that. <laughs> we just had some kind of logic that allowed us to kill to let to kill a mockingbird in war and peace well it's not to save a mockingbird <laughs> since we had and the, never let me go and huck since, finn is burning i mean that's pretty sad huck finn was burned in the first year and we didn't go back and save it but we could always redo huck finn in the future yeah we huck will. finn will just make a capsule space for it we're gonna later. have a hard choice with this year's list but since we have a trilogy in there can we take the trilogy out and replace it with three bucks. War and Peace, To Kill a Mockingbird, <laughs> and The Hobbit. I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> it's one per it, year. It's one per year. Listen, Technically, one, it's six books. One, install, one, one book of War and Peace is equal to one book of Lord of the Rings, if not bigger. I mean, if you're just thinking the heft of space that we're taking up on this capsule. Yeah. I just don't think that's how it works. Oh, my goodness. We got to make this decision, guys. Are we really going to let War and Peace burn over the Lord of the Rings? I think we get, I think get Lord of the Rings out of there and put something in its place. I'm all for kicking Lord of the Rings off this capsule. I love Lord of the Rings, but I'm just saying there's any number of books. I mean, I that would are put, far more deserving. Yeah. What do we have in just there so as far? books? So right now we just have Pride and Prejudice, Anna Karenina, Charlotte's Web, East of Eden, Lord of the Rings, and Hamlet. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. If, if Hamlet's what goes in this year, right? Assuming I, mean, I think Jake's right. I think Hamlet has to go in. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a vote that's unexpected here. I'm gonna say that we put the best. I loved Invisible Man, but that we put the best American novel in there by throwing in a To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. So To Kill a Mockingbird replaces Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I think that's entirely I think fair. That's fair. We've already got. I think To Kill I mean, a Mockingbird. I, know I love War and Peace, but you could argue we've got. Tolstoy's best work of fiction in there with Anna Karenina. Yeah. You could we could win that argument in my opinion. Uh, yeah, in your opinion. Well, it's gonna be two out of three and I'm with Nathan on it, so um, Yeah. Although they both deserve but I am reassessment. inevitable. Yes. I am invisible man. <laughs> Hold <laughs> up in an apartment somewhere. Very sad. Okay. <laughs> so all right. Burn Lord of the Rings. Well, we just lost a lot of fans. <laughs> we're not the ones burning it we're saving what we can save guys yeah it's not we, we would never burn lord stroke. of the rings yeah yeah listen we're doing what we can we're just trying to figure out what's <laughs> worth saving here there's our t-shirt we would never burn listen guys by the way people t-shirts are in the mail if you're a t-shirt patron i think it's in the mail right they're now good t-shirts they're fun yeah can i can i argue i mean i love charlotte's web but i kind of want to say I mean, if I'm going to Desert Island and I can take any three books, period, that we read, I'm taking both Anna Karenina 
and War and Peace and Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And it's not even up for debate. Like Yeah, I'm, I kinda I kinda wanna kill Charlotte's smash Charlotte's web with Smash That Spider with War and Peace. I mean I, I just think I just think Tolstoy wrote two novels and therefore that's two slots in our capsule. I mean Smash that spider. You you're you're vote you're with me, Brandon? Oh yeah. Smash the spider. All right. Jake, Maybe no. what we should just do is say what are our top five or ten books? How many years in are we? Six? What are your top six? That's kind of what I mean, this kind of is close right there. Yeah, I mean now the list is so I'm putting in War and Peace. Swapped with what did I just swap out? I swapped out Charlotte's Web. So now the capsule has Pride and Prejudice, Anna Kay, mm-hmm. War and Peace, East of Eden, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Hamlet. That's pretty close right there. The okay, but, are- but since we're going favorites and not being principled about it, then let's get rid of Hamlet and throw in Huck Finn or Emma or... I think those are the two. I mean, My Antonia is great, Remains of the Day. I mean, they're all, there's a lot of great stuff we could put in there, but does anybody want to argue for anything else? So here's the Passover list now reads Charlotte's Webb, Huck Finn, My Antonia, Remains of the Day, Never Let Me Go, Emma, Macbeth, King Lear, Watership Down, Invisible Man, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm fresh off of really enjoying Austin again, but I kind of want to just... Let's just take the best things. So we're killing Hamlet and putting Emma in there? I would say either Emma or Huck Finn. I'm with Jake there. Well, if you want to use Jake's island thing, I'm take, I would probably take Emma to an island over Huck Finn. Although that's mm-hmm. tough. Well, the difference is that between War and Peace and Anna Karenina, you're getting two very different sorts of thing. It's Pride and Prejudice and Emma. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you might, you might just mo- use that spot. I might be tempted to use that spot to add variety. All right. Well, we've established that we can come back to this. So I'm putting Huck Finn in there for now. Yeah. And uh, And we'll revisit. Yeah, we'll revisit as the years go by. Definitely clean that list up, though. That's for sure. Yeah. So Pride and Prejudice, Anna Karenina, War and Peace, East of Eden, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Huck Finn are in in there, which I think is much stronger. Lord of the Rings and Charlotte's Web have both been consigned to the burn pile, which is really sad. But appropriate. Yeah. I mean, there is is something, I will say, snobby in me that wants to say East of Eden is not just as a technical work. It's not the equal of anything else on this list. It's not. But in terms of its cathartic value, it's up there at the top. Yeah, I I think I would bring it to an island. So, all right. Well, that's that's enough for uh, now, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, this year's list? This year's list. All right. So, are we are going back to Dickens? What the Dickens? What the Dickens? Well, I'll tell you which Dickens or what the Dickens. What tale the Dickens. Of, what tale of two cities? A novel that I believe we have on record as Charles Dickens explicitly saying, "I'm going to do less of that character character stuff and have a more streamlined plot with lots of history." Yeah, and he does, which I dare say will make it more likable to a certain member of the booking. Maybe. We're going to have to find out. We will find out. He could have hated it. He could have hated it's it. It's possible. It's possible. But we'll I'll tell you this. We already know. Huh. Yeah, we do. But we're going to make you wait. 
I will say his reaction was great. His reaction was, it wasn't like extreme. I don't want to go so far as to say it was extreme, but he either really liked it or really hated it. He was, it was not a lukewarm reaction. Put it that way. I stand by that assessment of my reaction. And I'm not even telling you which one of us we're talking about. All right. Fathers and sons, we still have to get to. So that is actually taking a slot from this year. What's that? Turgenev. Turgenev. Yes. But Pride and Prejudice, Return to Pride and Prejudice comes first. The Return to Pride and Prejudice. Yes. We are finally going back to it in the beginning of year seven. Pride and Prejudice Redux. Yep. And obviously, as you can already tell from listening to this podcast, we are very excited to talk more Austin because it's just what a wonderful novel. What a wonderful author and what a wonderful novel. Okay, for our children's, and you'll notice that I'm not assigning months to these because I am being careful not to overpromise and underdeliver or anything like that, but these are the things that we hope to get to. So, children's month will be two novels, The Little Prince. <clears throat> Le Petit Prince. Le Petit Prince, and we will have... Petit Prince. Le, Le Petit Prince. Let us know. We have yeah. someone who very kindly helped us learn some pronunciation. Yep. And uh, one of those novels that tends to stick with people if they've ever read it, The Bridge to Terabithia or Bithia, however you say that. Terabithia. Yeah. The Bridge to Terabithia. Terabith. Well, I welcome you all to Terabithia. So, yeah, we're doing those. And then I, I guess I can say the scheduling. I mean, it's not going to hurt anything, right? So, no, this is just our plan. Yeah, the plan. So in May, so you go like February is your Pride and Prejudice. April will go back to Fathers and Sons. March Ma- is comes before April. And yeah, that's sorry, Little Prince and Bridge to Terabithia. Yep. Then Fathers and Sons in April. Then Fathers and Sons in April, and then May is Modernism Month. M is for May. It's also for Modernism. So. Brandon will get to talk about modernism, and we will get to read A Farewell to Arms. By Arms. We've talked about modernism before. Yeah, we'll finally get to talk about some modernism. So we're going to talk, to, uh, talk about Farewell to <coughs> Arms, uh, the one major Hemingway novel that I think I have not ever read. So I am excited about that. Brandon's excited about spoiling it for me. Brandon's excited about spoiling it. It's got the pine needles. Read it before we talk about it. Jake. Yeah, read it and weep. <laughs> And we are also going to do something that I think was on our list year one, maybe, but we swapped it's it. It's been out. on and off the list at various points. And it's been requested by various people, although it seems like you can guess what we're going to say. But anyway, I don't know. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting. The Stranger. L'étranger. L'étranger. By Albert Camus. By Albert Camus. So that'll be fun. Very existential. May. I don't really think of May as being the. The month of existentialism, April. but it's a very February month. But yeah, but it's a very breeding lilacs out of the dead land. Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's April, though. I'll show you if you're in a handful of dust. Hey, it's cool. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Try not to sneeze. Really shouldn't have showed you that handful of dust. Probably other ways I could have shown you fear. Listen, listen, June, we're gonna have a whale of a time reading. Moby Dick. That's a patron request. One of our fine patrons. Probably would have never happened otherwise. No, no. But I'm excited to get to it. 
Yeah, it's going to be great to check that one off the list. It'll be great to check that one off the list. It's got a chapter about the color white. I remember that much. There's whale a long skeletons. Cha- yeah. What about skeletons? That chapter's on whale skeletons. There, yeah, well, it's got a lot of chapters, that Moby Dick. A lot of catology in that book. On a, a lot Cetology, of different things. Cetology. Cephalology? Cephalology? Cephalophology. Cephalophology. Yeah. Come on. All right. Then July, we are getting by popular request to everyone's favorite deer caps deer stock what do you call that cap that he wears deer stalker deer stalker cap wearing cocaine taking violin playing or heroin what is what is he this gentleman he addicted to? i think he does both yeah well we're gonna talk about sherlock holmes oh we're going to talk about Brandon's private life. <laughs> <laughs> Sound a little personal there. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. We're going to talk about the life and times of one Sherlock Holmes Esquire. We're thinking about, we haven't done this yet, so maybe this person will reject us, but we're thinking about inviting Dubstep Danny on as our resident detective discusser that we've discussed many a detective thing with in the past. So some Sherlock Holmes Dubstep Danny, if that sounds good, you reach out. August is going to be, that is traditionally Shakespeare month, and we are going to go top tier title here. None other than the two star-crossed lovers of Verona, Romeo and Juliet. When the moon hits the sky like a big pizza pie, that's amore. (laughs) (laughs) When you drink a little poison and your heart starts to sink and then stop, it's because you're dead. When the priest gets the news (laughs) and your death gives him blues. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Romeo and Juliet, will we like it? That's amore. (laughs) Or or lump it. Will we be like, well, we know this story. Two thumbs down for this stinker. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll give two thumbs down for this stinker. Hey, there's our (laughs) t-shirt. Two thumbs down for this stinker, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, September, we talked ourselves into not doing this in October. I forget why. But September is going to be the month of Stephen King. And I still have not figured out what we're going to do because we have to find something that's not grotesquely sexual, which could be a little hard with that particular author. but. We're going to read something by arguably the most popular American author of the last 50 years, Stephen King, the Dickens of our time. And so that's the thing that we're going to do. And we'll, you'll get more information as we get closer to it. I don't know. Maybe it probably, we'll try and find a novel. But if we can't, then it'll be a novella or a short story. The guy wrote written a lot of stuff. So or maybe it'll be an interview. Maybe he'll agree to come on the podcast. Maybe it'll be an, just an interview. With Stephen King. Stevie, if you're listening, we'd love to have you. In uh, October, we're going back to Cor- Cormac McCarthy. We're going back to Cormac McCarthy. And it's all the pretty horses. It's all the pretty horses, baby. I'm sorry that we made you read Blood Meridian, but it's all the pretty horses. Yeah, we're going to do all the pretty horses. I was looking out my window to see if I could look outside and see. All my pretty horses, but they're not outside right now. 
I mean, they are. They're not inside the house. They're just not out in that part where I can see them. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> what? Your horses are inside the house? Your they're pretty in, they're horses? In the, they're in the living room watching a movie with my little girl. What does your little girl like to watch with the horses, the pretty horses? Well, she's sick. So right now they're watching the complete trilogy of How to Train Your Dragon. Hey, there so, you go. She will trilogy. be an old hand at training dragons by the end of that trilogy. Yeah, so we're going to do all the pretty horses. And what made us choose that one as opposed to the other ones? It's one of the more accessible ones. Yes, it's one of the more accessible ones. And we didn't really want to do the road because everybody does the road. And I don't know, it just didn't sound fun to do the road for whatever reason. Everybody does the road. Everybody does the road. Everybody it's talks one of those books it. that's been grabbed onto by a certain subset of people of the week sometimes pick a bone with. Yeah, so. yep. Decided, let's not pick a bone this time. Let's just yep. go for one they would never read. They can have the bone. <laughs> we'll have the pretty horses. Yeah. Yeah, should be fun. No more bone picking this year with the bookening. Yep. No bones picked for the bookening. Isn't it probably something else people are wondering is, will the wonderful cast of characters, are they, are they now a thing of the past? Or will we still be hearing from Fat Alplane and Britney Spears? And- <laughs> <laughs> mysterious Phantom? The Mysterious Phantom, for sure. I think, actually... I suspect that given that we are going to be recording together, there's a higher likelihood that those characters will come back. Because I think that those characters just have a little trouble with Zoom. I just don't think that Zoom is the proper medium for those characters. So, I would not be surprised if we heard from any number of great booking characters like Britney Spears. Plus, she's she doesn't have her uh, restraining order, her... Her dad's not in charge anymore, whatever that thing is. Yeah. So I bet she wants. I just bet we hear from the mysterious Phantom and Britney Spears. I wouldn't be surprised if there are a couple. So let's see what else is going on. Speaking of not picking any bones or doing anything controversial, in November we decided to do Jesus Son. (laughs) (laughs) We finally figure we're mature enough to do that book and admit to everybody that we like it. Yeah, well, uh, like uh, once every two years, we do an episode where we talk about how we're not going to talk about that book. So we figured we might as well just do an episode where we actually talk about that book. So because it is one of our collective favorites, although yeah, he's kind of he's kind of one of the best. He's one of the best, but he is he is R rated though. There's there's no other. And then this was originally part of a Patreon scheme, but I think we just want to keep it. Do we want our December book to be the thing that we said it was going to be? Yeah, if they get yep. us to 2,000 before the end of the year. they get us to 2,000 before the end of the year? Are we going to hold them to that? Sure. Otherwise, we're going to do Ender's Game Part 2. <laughs> there's, there's a lot. Well, listen, what I'm saying, what I'm talking about is doing Anna Karenina in December. We have famously only ever done one episode about Anna Karenina. It was a fun episode to do, and we had a nice discussion, but... The world needs more for for arguably the best book we've ever read on the bookening. Yeah. It's it's a little sad that we've only ever talked about it for about 90 minutes. So the world needs more of our thoughts on it. Questions, comments, complaints, thoughts about that list, guys? What are you most excited about? What are you least excited about? What are you intrigued by? Anything? I'm most excited about Anna Kay going back. Same. I would yep. jump right into it tomorrow. Yep. Most intrigued to see how Jesus' son is going to play out as an episode. Yep. See if we all still feel the same about it. I, I haven't read it in a while. So, yeah. 
No, I guess I haven't really read it since the early days of the bookening, so it's possible my tastes have changed see, or matured. See if he holds up. Yeah, yeah, we may all be ready to be done with them by now. I am least excited about The Stranger. Yeah. I'm least excited about the run from June to August, or June. May to August. It's going to be a tough stretch. And find some ways to make that fun. Yeah, I know. We'll have fun. I mean, Sherlock Holmes will be fun. Romeo and Juliet. Every year we hit our heads against Shakespeare and we, this is the year we finally crack how to talk about Shakespeare successfully on the book. Moby Dick is going to be big and, but it'll be good to have read it and it'll, we'll get, we'll get some interesting discussion out of it. I mean, it's a, it's arguably the great American novel. I mean, it's got to at least be in the running. So will we have any great American novel candidates that we haven't read after we read Moby Dick? I mean, we've done Gatsby, we've done Huck, we've done Moby. Invisible Man, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird. You get some of the more modern ones. We'll have read all the Hemingway. Infinite yeah, Jest, well, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some of the more modern ones that people would throw in, like Infinite Jest. Oh, but, I mean, Blood Meridian gets thrown in there. Yep. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything else that I would say is in the running. Hey, guys, I'm going to, I'll be right back. I got to go in my car for Anna. Okay. She's got to go get the kids. Send his kids to school with COVID. Sending his kids to school with COVID. All right, folks. We'll be right back. Are you as fat as Brandon? Try new Fred's pig troughs. What? Uh, (laughs) Hey, everybody. We're back from our ad. I want to thank Fred's pig troughs for (laughs) supporting the show. By donating one pig trough to one of the members of our show. We yep. won't say who. We won't say who. It's possible. <sighs> well, I won't say what's possible or not possible. Point is, Brandon's lost a lot of weight, and we do not make jokes at his expense. He looks great. He's a svelte. He's the, if you look up the word svelte in the dictionary, I'd be surprised if you didn't see a picture of Brandon. Probably. Yeah. Or a definition of the word svelte. One of the two. Listen, guys, we promised the people a discussion of Howard Zender's game. And so, and not just a discussion, actually, a, tri- a, a trial, <laughs> which I will be using the full judicial rules of the United States of America. I will be holding you guys to this. So, hear ye, hear ye, all rise for the honorable Judge Nathan. This court is in order or in session, or something like that. We have the prosecutor today bringing his evidence against the bookender's game, Brandon Chastine. Would you like to make an opening statement, Mr. Prosecutor? Uh, (laughs) Well, here we go, guys. So, I don't quite know where this trial came from. I'm pretty sure all I ever said was that I was indifferent towards this book. (laughs) I don't think I ever said I hated it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever said that I wanted it to die in the way that I did Ready Player One. I as think- a man who's on record as saying that Ender's Game is stupid and anyone who likes it is a gibbering moron who needs a cup to catch their saliva. Yeah, but hang on. I, I've got something. So I may have to grab my charger, but we're fine. So my case, if I was going to just say from the beginning, so could we can talk about this after the trial, what my opinion is, right? It's a modified opinion of what I had 
So I made the stupid mistake with Ready Player One of trotting out with Tolstoy and all those guys. And it was like back before we had really fleshed out our bookening theory of the idea of the author and all that, right? Yes. Which we commit to now, but whatever. It was, it was, a, it was a really bad mistake. But one thing that I am going to go back to with that one is that I think that there are books that are for like seasons of life. Mm-hmm. And I think as I've talked to other people about Ender's Game, like I have, we have a friend, a, a mutual acquaintance at church. He's been on the bookening before, actually, who really likes Ender's Game. And he and I talked about it for a while. And lo and behold, he first read Ender's Game when he was 15 or something, right? I do think that this book is a season of life book. I, if I had read it when I was 15, I think I would have really enjoyed it. But at this point in my life, it's just, it didn't do anything for me. It's not what I wanted at that time or even really think that I should want at that time. I think that's perfectly fine. That, that's kind of, that's just, that's my honest where I'm at with Ender's Game. I think what it does is, is interesting. I think what it's, the world it's building is interesting. I think the sci-fi it's doing is better quality sci-fi than other stuff we've read. I, I, I actually think it's a fine book. So now that doesn't sound like, like much of a prosecution, right? Mm-hmm. So what I would like to do is I'm going to step aside and I am going to let Mr. Walt Hickey come in, who wrote this. I finally figured out why I hate Ender's Game, the cult sci-fi novel that everyone else apparently loves. Is that fine? That's can right. I let him speak for me? And we can Calling use Walt of, Hickey to the stand. All right. Can I uh, use some of his points? Please. Now this said, I don't know what Walt Hickey's going to really say because I haven't <laughs> looked into his opinions too much. <laughs> so I might turn on Walt Hickey myself. <laughs> but here's his opening statement. I don't like Ender's Game. And he wrote this for Insider, by the way, so a legitimate publication. Mm-hmm. This is a topic that has come up whenever someone brings up the upcoming film. So this was back when the film was coming out, right. which has legions of Ender fans salivating over seeing one of their favorite books in film. Let's get a few things straight before we go any further. I've paid way too much money for a deluxe edition of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I own a Star Trek uniform. I have a map of the Games of Thrones on the living room wall. Wait, I have a map of the Game of Thrones continent on my living room wall. Sorry, Walt, if you're listening. Dude is disqualified from commenting. I have vehement opinions about the proper order to watch the Star Wars films. I'm the kind of dude who likes Ender's Game, a book about a young kid who is trained via zero-gravity 3D laser tag to fight off an alien invasion, and yet when I read it as a kid, it just never clicked for me. Which is odd. So I recently reread it in order to figure out precisely why, and I think I figured it out. So what I was thinking is, if we're going to put this on trial and give it a fair trial, let's find someone who seems to think he's qualified mm-hmm. and actually see the reasons he doesn't like it. Does that sound like I think, I, think the, I think his qualifications are actually good. He's a nerd. He knows this stuff. He's sympathetic to this stuff. He likes this stuff Yeah, more than which, the average person. Which, I mean, I'm a nerd, but... As we came to, I came to terms with in the Dune episodes, I just, sci-fi doesn't do it for me, right? And I don't hate sci-fi and a lot of my closest friends, you guys, people here at our church really love sci-fi. And I think it's a legitimate world that just, it's not for me. Some people don't like detective fiction. Some people don't like sci-fi. It's just, this doesn't do it for me. So I really don't feel that qualified to attack it. Now, Now, just one second though. I always say this about Agatha Christie. It's just not for me. And then you guys always sneer and... Yeah, exactly. 
Well, you um, say it's no, just no, not no, 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 because then you actually come out and you, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. your approach is a little different there, Nathan. <laughs> it's it's the definition of a Mott and Bailey argument. It's just not for me. And then your teeth are bared and it gives you permission to just lay into all things Agatha Christie. And, yeah. you know, Which I don't want to do because I actually don't think that I could, I don't think I could make an interesting case against him. It, right. Yet this guy, he gives it a go. So you want to hear what his things are? I'm thinking you should actually call his points as witnesses. So his first point is first off, it reads like watching someone playing a video game. Hmm. So we're still kind of in his opening statement here. So today, Mr. Walt Hickey is going to prove these things to us. First off, it reads like watching someone play a video game. Second, nobody ever grows or changes during the course of Ender's Game. Now, of his points, that's the one that I'm interested to see what he has, because I can see where he's coming from there. Yeah. I'm not sure that's a knock against the book, because I'm not quite sure that's what the book is trying to do in the first place. But hey, I'm supposed to speak for him. The character Three, the characters are merely agents of plot. That sounds a lot like point two. And three, it's kind of, four, it's kind of dated. Oh, four, it's kind of dated. That's it. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that's what you're going to prove today, Mr. Walt Hickey? That's what he says he's going to prove. You want to start with his first one? Well, let me uh, see if Jake wants to make an opening statement for the defense. Opening defense? Or just an opening? I would sooner defend Leo Tolstoy from A Roaring Lion. Uh, I would sooner defend (laughs) Leo Tolstoy from A Roaring Lion. (laughs) If I had a choice between defending... (laughs) I I, I just don't see any... any, uh, this this book stands uh, on its own two feet and on its merits doesn't need much defense. I think as Brandon makes his uh, arguments against it, they'll be seen for what they are, which is completely silly and foolish. And and so I think th- I think the prosecution's case will end up working against the prosecution. <coughs> so I'm just going to sit back and watch Brandon self destruct over here. I think the book stands yeah, it's, on its, it's own. It's not Brandon. It's Walt Hickey. <laughs> uh, Brandon. Am I mistaken in thinking that you're the prosecutor that called Walt Hickey forth as a witness? Because that is how uh, the judge interpreted it earlier. Only because Brandon didn't want to do this. <laughs> Brandon, these Brandon are your arguments him. that you're putting forth. You you brought your champion into the into the arena. His name is Walt Hickey, and so let's see what he has. Look, we've all have. been tempted to lean on Walt Hickey's criticism. Yeah, I guess my argument is that Brandon doesn't really have a dog in this fight. And so I was trying to find the best representative dog I could find. My dog just walked into the room when I said that. <laughs> um, that was weird. He knows. And so uh, this is it. And I think this is kind of proving to me why I don't have a dog in this fight. Because as far as sci-fi... As far as just a book goes, he does. He, he, this is a fine book. There's really not that much to fight against or argue against. I mean, you can have some quibbles here and there with some of the morality and some of the ways his weird religion comes out in the book and stuff like that. But I mean, so can you with pretty much anything we ever read. So I actually thought that Walt Hickey's points sounded intriguing. So, so let's I'm, see what Walt Hickey yeah. has to say then, right? Ready? Yeah. So for those of you who haven't read the novel, here is the plot format for the vast majority of chapters. It's this is. Uh, reads like someone playing a video game. Colonel Graf Mazer Rackham talks to someone about how hard they plan to push Ender. Ender is confronted with both a personal challenge as well as a battle school challenge. We hang out with Peter and Valentine who are taking over the world without using internet forums. 
Ender easily beats both the personal and battle school challenge because of how great he is at stuff. Ender plays a video game to decompress. Colonel Graf Mazer Rackham feels remorse over how hard he is pushing Ender, but resigns himself to the fact it is for the greater good. With the exception of the earliest and final chapters, as well as the one at the lake between battle school and command school, most of the chapters follow this formula to a T, unless the Valentine-Peter subplot is dropped. Still watching a highly skilled character beat progressively difficult levels without experiencing any character growth is essentially the same as watching a skilled friend beat a video game. It's a formulaic plot without any real tension. This also leads to another thing I realized, so I think that's really the crux of his argument there, is that it's essentially like watching a skilled friend beat a video game. It's a formulaic plot without any real tension. I would say that all he's doing, well, I guess let's let Jake Is speak. being a boomer. I mean, first of all, video games have some some really great plots. But second of all, you know what Jane Austen reads like? Watching people going to balls. You know what War and Peace reads like? Like watching some people go to balls and go to war. What, what? Yeah, to say that, that it reads like watching someone playing a video game is to say, this book happens to use as its mechanism a kid who's being put through... Uh, video games as a part of a training for a greater purpose. So it's like, what? Okay. Well, I think I think the real crux of his argument is that because it's like watching someone play a video game, there's no real tension. There are no real stakes, right? It's a it's formulaic. It's only there. It would be like if Elizabeth went to every ball in Pride and Prejudice and busted up and was awesome, and there was never any tension as to whether she was going to get Darcy or whether she had to grow or change. But that's not true. That's not true. Uh, have you watched somebody play a video game? There's all kinds of tension, and Ender has all kinds of tension. Every time he has to level up or face a new challenge, every time they try to make something more difficult for him, like that's the whole, that's how he keeps you on the hook all the way through. That's how he keeps you turning the pages is, oh man, there, now there's a new ch- now there's a new thing, now there's a new twist, now there's something else, now there's, oh no, he's back up against the wall here, oh no, how's he going to make it through this? But like Harry Potter, are we ever really worried that Ender's not going to stand up to the challenge? So you're arguing that Harry Potter is No, bad? I'm not, I'm just saying that, does that really make it not formulaic, because it does that? I really it, don't think for, you're what, why are, his, why are we opposed, his point wrong. Why are we opposed to certain formulas? Okay, I don't I mean, mind. That's I, fine, but you're still not proving that he's wrong. I don't mind Ender leveling up, but I'm. Yeah, I gotta go grab to... my ch- uh, charger just real fast, or I'm, okay. my computer's gonna die. I thought you were the judge. I'm. I'm. Ru- I'm describing my process of why I'm tempted to rule in favor of this point. <sighs> All right, we're good. What were you saying? So, Nathan? so it has a plot, and that, and it has a plot that is. Uh, recognizable and that's a problem is what we're saying no right. he's his problem is that it's so formulaic that it doesn't have any real tension and so i think the implication of what he's saying is that tension is essential to a good plot and this one has none of it and so therefore the formulaicness of it lends to it not being a good plot okay so that's just a matter of i i don't think there's any way to to deal it's a with hard that. thing to argue against. I mean, you can't you can't argue opinion. for it or, or or against it. It's like I say, it doesn't have tension. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're stupid. Well, where does the tension come from in the story? The tension in the story is all about 
Ender being put in these crazy situations that he has to fight his way out of and fight his way forward through. But is there any tension if you never really wonder if Ender's going to succeed? Do you, if you step back in, man, is Frodo, I wonder if Frodo's ever going to make it to Mordor. Man, I wonder if Harry's ever going to defeat Voldemort. Man, There's the question I, with both of them whether or not they're going to make it alive. So there's tension from that. The same question is true of Ender. You can't just say that that because you don't want it to have tension, that it's not there. If it didn't have tension, people wouldn't consider this a page turner. It wouldn't be I a think, number one New York Times bestseller. Consider it a page turner. I think that what this guy is it's not tension that drives it forward. He's going to turn around and argue later that it's all about a plot, right? If this is all plot driven and not character driven, it's all about this plot. Oh yeah, but also the plot doesn't work because it doesn't have any tension. So it's also not about the plot. So he's just like throwing yeah, I think crap the way, at the wall. I think what he's it doesn't make to any at, sense. I think well, it kind of makes sense because what he's actually trying to get at here is what C.S. Lewis takes issue with in his experiment and criticism. You really going to quote C.S. Lewis on a trial? Yeah, sure. I don't see why not. So with experiment and criticism, he makes the argument that. There are stories that are just there to be page turners, and then there are stories that are there to be what he would uh, call kind of like literary, the stuff that attracts us with, I've mentioned Tolstoy and Austin, where you have real development of character. So that is what Nathan said with uh, Jane Austen is the difference with that. And with Ender's Game or with Harry Potter is that the point with those stories, yes, it is from ball to ball, from soiree to soiree. The point of those stories is all about the character development as opposed to the plot here being the, the key. And so it's just a difference of preference, a difference of what you're wanting. I don't personally think it's wrong to want stories like this. I would think it would be wrong if at this point in my life, this is all I wanted. I would have an issue with that. Does that make sense? Sure. Sure. And, this um, is, I, can, I, I can agree that this is... Uh, Pretty thin on character and pretty thin and I don't, on a lot and of even other things. Like, I, I don't know if you can really make the argument that Ender's Game has anything to offer me as a 36-year-old man over other books that I I could read. Yeah, I'm not. that's not the argument. The argument is, I know. does this book deserve to die? And so I don't think it does. And But this guy kind of seems like he does. And so that's the first thing he's saying is it's for me. Yeah, but he's not making any sense. Not really. Mm. I mean, you can't really give him... You can say for the sake of argument and I'm just doing for the sake of a fun podcast that you can to, give I'm him to make the point, it, but you can't give him the sh- point. Should the should the judge weigh in? I'm trying to do my best to make his point for him here, and I think I'm actually giving him more than what he's saying. Do you think so, Nathan? No, I okay. I'm actually tempted to rule in favor of this point. I don't think that he's accusing it of being a video game or anything like that. Or if he is, let me let me perfect his point for him. <clears throat> what what I hate this term, but he's accusing Ender of being a Mary Sue. He's saying that, or a Gary Stew, I think is what they call the male version. He's saying that Ender is always good at everything. He always overcomes the challenges. He doesn't have moments of, or or, or he doesn't have enough moments of weaknesses and doubt. And so, therefore, there's just not a lot of suspense. And chapter after chapter, a challenge is thrown at Ender. Ender comes through with flying colors, and you're never really in suspense. After, after a couple rounds of that, you have six or seven more rounds where you're just like, okay, Ender's going to do it again. It's the same thing that people complained about with the character of Rey in the first of the Star Wars sequels, where she's just 
powerful and she's always going to figure it out and she's always going to be awesome. And But that's just not actually, I mean, you can say that, you can assert it, but if you actually go back and look at the book, the amount of time that Ender spends alone on his bed trying to figure out how to deal with this next thing. The amount of time he he spends trying to figure out how to deal with this curveball or that curveball, the amount of time he spends up against the wall, the amount of time he spends naked and sweating and afraid for his life, and the amount of time we cut to the colonels or whoever who are like, you're going to kill this kid, like, he's not going to be able to make it through this. I just, I don't, I don't think that's what, I think if that were true, then it wouldn't be as compelling to as many people as it is. And... The fact is, the book does a pretty good job of keeping most people on the edge of their seat, ready to see what happens next. What's the next curveball? What's the next challenge? Is he going to be able, how's he going to get through that? Is he going to be able to make it? Like, Well, yeah. And I think that this really is where it comes down to personal preference when reading this book, because I didn't personally feel that he was, that it was, I, I felt that he wanted me to feel the tension, but that he wasn't being quite successful in convincing me that there was ever really any chance that Ender wasn't going to win. In the sense that I don't really feel there was any chance that, for example, what's his, the Quizots, the Quizenart? Sazerac. Sazerac. Paul Was ever not really going to win. And I think in sci-fi, that's kind of inevitable. Like even with the Lord of the Rings, you don't really ever doubt that Frodo's going to win, right? But you sort of, as a reader, you're willing to suspend but yes, your- Yes, that's, that's the difference, right? is whether or not the authors successfully get you to suspend your disbelief. And, and I think for something like Dune, you get the moment where the Harkonnens pulled their, tr- their trick. Yep. Everything, you, Paul and Lady Jessica are in the desert. Everything looks down. Everything's bad. He's beaten. He's going to have to rise back up. He's going to have to figure it out. He's really on his heels. And that's something that Orson Scott Card does not give you as much of. Which, with is, where, which is where I think... Maybe the debate, the idea for this debate originally came from is when I said that this book made me appreciate Dune all that much more. That wasn't necessarily a knock on this book. It was more just praising Herbert and realizing that Herbert really was just, it's the difference between, I don't know, it's the difference between any other, any various authors we've read versus Austin or Tolstoy, you know? Austin and Tolstoy can take a soiree and get a whole world out of it, while other people can't quite do that. And it's... Doesn't or it's mean not their, their aim. Books, yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean that their books aren't worthwhile or anything. It just means that it's a different aim. It's a different and different skill level too. And that's that's really what I meant there is that I think that and I think this kind of helps me flesh that out some more. And this book is not quite Herbert hit on something that's really you know I would go back and read Dune again before I would read this. And it's just because I think that Herbert's doing something more interesting with his storytelling. Well, I don't know whether this is, I think this is in support of Jake's point, but maybe it isn't. There, there is also the suspense of how, and that is, that is a type of suspense. Even like I was never on the ropes as far as like is on the ropes. Isn't the phrase I want there, but I I was never really seriously thinking that Ender wasn't going to pull it off on a chapter by chapter basis. And I think he was a little overpowered and a little too cool. And that is a problem with the book. But it's also just fun to try and f- keep up with an Ender and figure out how he's going to meet each challenge. Yes. And there's a sp- suspense that comes out of, okay, I know he's going to do it, but what's it going to look like? And That's actually really helpful because that, I think that helps clarify, I think, what C.S. Lewis was pointing to is the difference. Stories, though, that only make you wonder how, 
are not the same as stories that make you wonder like why or whether who's behind it. Does that make sense? Stories that lean heavily on the how that's that kind of is like, you know, when, you know, when you're playing a video game, even though the Zelda franchise, I actually think that this guy wasn't thinking about all of, because there are some video games that actually do make you interested in the story. Yeah. There's some really great stories out there. In video so games. I, I'm actually, I'm pretty sympathetic but to what it, you're saying. Th- here, those Jake. criticisms that, are true of every Marvel movie. They're true of every, yeah. It's just like it, the true of Star Trek for goodness sake. And yeah. What were the other things that he thought he was doing to drop nerd cred? Like, oh, character growth and uh, a suspenseful plot, and you're pointing to Star Trek? Yeah. Come on, man. But Captain Kirk has to grow as a character. Yeah, I mean, the, to Star Trek, to be fair, has some great characters like Worf and Data. That do well, that. Iron Man has to grow as a character. I yep. mean, there there are basic character growth things that Orson Scott Card is not interested. He wants Endor to be more of a... Just a fact, like Ender is this. I mean, I know he grows at the very end, but our journey with Ender is basically Ender's pretty cool. And well, part of the part of the tragedy of the story is that Ender's a kid. He's not allowed to be a kid, and he's not allowed to grow in the ways that normal kids grow. And so they're keeping him stunted in very p- particular ways in this sort of sci-fi dystopian story. And that's part of the tension that you feel as a reader, and you feel it most through his handlers who feel that tension, feel what they're doing is evil, but in the particular, but for the greater good. So there is a, a level of, yeah, okay, he's an avatar of saving civilization and they're using him and manipulating him. But part of the question is, will he be able to come out of this and reclaim or claim some kind of actual humanity? You know, what sets him apart from his brother or his sister exactly? Is he able to be human while still bearing the mantle of the sort of chosen one that has been manufactured and manipulated and put through uh, the system like a, a, a cog in the machine? Can he come out and hold on to some kind of humanity? Those are all things that in a sci-fi uh, conceit, you only have generally space to ask one or two sort of bigger questions like that. And that's it. That's all you ask. And to be fair to Card, I th- this is only first of a trilogy or something like that, right? He has this is a massive. So when you have a direction, you're taking a character in a book like this. You can't just judge it on the first. The first book is supposed to be the first step in character. That's absolutely true. Right. Yep. Yep. I'm putting background on my wig. I'm scurrying back behind the judge's desk here. You ready to hear the ne- You ready to hear the next point? Yes. Nobody ever grows or changes during the course of Ender's Game. Sure, people get new jobs or go to different schools or grow in prestige, but at no point over the course of the novel do we see a demonstrable growth or change in any of the characters, despite the fact that Ender ages from 6 to roughly 11. Part I'm willing of the- to grant card the exceedingly young hero just because every science fiction novel geared toward young adults, and many that aren't, runs into this problem, but to see no demonstrable character growth just sort of removes the stakes from it. Card in many ways suffers from the same problem that Asimov faced in some of his great novels, the fact that he had a rocking plot concept, but his characters were two-dimensional cardboard cutouts, just going through the motions to make that awesome plot happen. There's some merit to that, but part of the tension is not how does Ender need to, to change and grow. The question is, can Ender consistently be put through 
the paces needed for him to level up in skill without becoming corrupted, without being destroyed in the process. So it's in a weird sense, there's an inversion on that sort of classic sense of, oh, the hero has to grow, has to have some journey of self-discovery, has to this, has to that. Well, the main thing that's necessary for Ender is that he level up in his ability to strategically destroy the enemy without losing his um, humanity, his compassion, his in developing his leadership ability. So it is more abstract in that sense, but it's also, it's just not trying to be all that deep. Yeah. I mean, I guess it comes down to whether or not you see that as a problem or if you see that as just part of the, it's part of the conceit, a a feature that makes it work as it works. And I think that kind of works in with his next point. Basically he says that the characters are merely agents of plot. Usually you want to describe Let's see. An outstanding way to gauge the strength of a work's character is to see if you can describe the characters without saying anything about their age, appearance, or occupation. I don't know. Why is that? An outstanding way to gauge the strength of a work's characters is to see if you can describe the characters. Okay, I guess I get it. The best I could do with the Ender's Game main cast is genius for Ender, smart and compassionate for Valentine, smart and ambitious for Peter, and guilty for Graf. Maybe people with a deeper relationship with the novels can do better, but I'm really running dry. Even Ender is woefully flattened. Contrast this with something else. He has, he mentions Harry Potter as a fundamentally sympathetic character. It grows and changes substantially over the course of a single novel. You can describe any member of the cast and with a multitude of adjectives that don't pertain to appearance, age, or occupation. Ender at the end and Harry at the beginning are roughly the same age, but Rowling is able to make you feel for Harry in a way that Card is only able to make you observe Ender. I mean, he really doesn't add any... I don't know why these are I just I think that's a total crap argument. To bring in Harry is to bring in somebody who has the same issue, actually. I could say the same thing about Harry that I just said about Ender, which is... And you can make it a criticism, and it ought to be more of a criticism of Harry than of Ender, because when you're talking about Harry, you are talking about a seven-novel arc, and we're talking about this as a standalone piece but harry is always just the kid who the good-hearted kid who lived under the stairs and even the places where he should grow rolling undermines it right it's also kind of ridiculous to say that you can't find other adjectives to describe ender there's fearful there's uncertain there's um, insecure insecure there's all these things that and he gives him other emotions i think that this guy is not completely understanding what's meant by a well-rounded character. And that's because when you get to some of these literary categories, which is why debates like these become so difficult when you're defending great literature versus like just, have you ever had a debate with someone and you're trying to convince them why something is so good? And they're like, well, I don't see what the difference is between that and then this other thing, which is obviously just like... Trash. Not as good. Yeah, trash. And then you're trying to defend it and you're like, well... It kind of just has this sort of je ne sais quoi. You gotta, you either know it or you don't. Yeah, at a certain point, That's, you don't see it. Maybe it's because you don't have eyes to see it. Maybe it's yeah, you're and that not, is, I, I think maybe it's because you're not worthy. C.S. Lewis and his experiment in criticism. That's kind of the argument he ends up falling on, and it seems really snobbish that he basically says there are two types of people: those who get it and those who don't. Yeah, and to reduce the argument isn't really helpful here. To say that all 
if you can't, if you can only describe a character with a couple adjectives, therefore they're flat, because there are lots of flat characters I can think of that. You can and it's not always a bad thing. I mean, for goodness sake, we've yeah. had the same exact discussion with Tolkien, right? Like, how many characters in Lord of the Rings give you more than one dimension? Have more than one just main character attribute that you can use to describe them? There really aren't a lot. Like, the depth that we apply to them is the depth that we uh, project onto them as we see ourselves or our friends or people we love. And yeah. part of the reason we can do that is precisely because of their one-dimensionality, because of how much they serve as types, right? Yeah. It's the discussion that we have about Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. It's like, well, he's a really dull, boring, flat character, mm-hmm. which makes him a great avatar for you as you place yourself in his hero's journey story, which we all know Luke's going to make it to the end, and we all know Luke's going to win, and Luke's going to level up along the way, and there's not going to be a whole lot of... So, yeah, it, it, and- it's really to come... He he just doesn't like the execution of a genre piece that he thinks he likes the genre of. And that's and not the why, same as having a valid criticism about the piece itself. Yeah, and this is where this is why I get like I've been thinking quite a bit about this lately. So and why I've wanted to land where I've landed with Ender's game and be careful about it, because C.S. Lewis is kind of making a value statement about those who get it and those who don't, without considering the fact that God has made various types of people in the world, and that those who get it and those who don't, that there's not necessarily an inferiority built into that. Both of them mm-hmm. can land in, an, in a horrible, horribly wicked place where, you know, those who don't get it can become boorish and priggish and not think that there's anything beautiful in life and just hate those who do, right? Yeah. And those who you can end up in the others become an intellectual snob, right? And and I think it's a mat, it's just where I'm at in life right now. I, I've met a lot of people who are good guys who would never want to read, or that I would never say that their life would be improved by reading War and Peace. And that kind of maybe sounds extreme, you know? Does that make sense though? No, that makes sense. And there's so, some it, there's some young men who you look at and you would say, you know, your chances of finding a wife would be improved by uh, reading Pride and Prejudice. And there are other young men that you look at and say, your chances of getting married would be improved by going to the gym three times a week. Exactly. Right. Like, so there are different Get out of your house, get out of your head and go, go, get, go get jacked. Yeah. That'll help. And it's not the same. And you'll learn some life lessons too in the process about self-discipline and growth and all so kinds just, of things. It's, it depends on the person. So like if there was a, a guy our age, for example, that was said all they ever read and they spent all their time reading it was Ender's Game. I think we would all have a big concern. Yeah. But if we come across a guy our age that says, I like Ender's Game, and we have a discussion as to why, and we find out that it's for some of the reasons we're talking about here, we're not going to be concerned. And we're also not going to be concerned if that guy then turns around and says, you know what, I tried to read War and Peace and it just really wasn't for me, if they're also a good father and a good husband and are working in the church and have other things that seem valuable in their life. Yep. The fact that they don't want to go and read Tolstoy doesn't make them any inferior of ours. It's a huge investment. Yeah. And uh, I have no clue where this is coming from. But anyways, I just thought that was something I wanted to say. <laughs> Well, I, I just think it's important that we we understand. I mean, it's easy to get uh, wrapped up in any number of little things 
um, we've all we've all been we we do this show because books have made a huge impact on our lives and our our personal development. That's as much a function of the books we've read as it is a function function of our personalities, our histories, our backgrounds, and any number of things. There are people we would love to share those experiences with that just don't need them. Or just don't have access to them, given their personality or their gifts, in the same way. And there, there are ways you see this with certain kids. I think about this with some of my kids, and it's like you know, I don't know that I'm going to be able to share my love of Tolstoy with some of my kids if they're ever going to get there. How do I get them there? Well, am I okay with that? It's sort of like saying I'm not going to be able to share my love of baseball with some of my kids because they just don't have the athletic acumen. They can love it. We can, you know have a piece of it, but we can't have the whole thing. And that's okay. That's not going to make them uh, less of a man yeah. necessarily. It's just going to be, okay, how do we help you grow into a mature, well-rounded man, as well-rounded as you're capable of being with the machinery, with the tools that God's given you? Yeah. The only little flourish I would add to this conversation is it's very easy to denigrate the things that you don't have an aptitude for. Yes. And I, I do not like that. Just because I'm not good at baseball doesn't mean baseball is not a worthwhile pursuit. And it doesn't mean that there's not something there for the people who love baseball. And I think everybody kind of, or a lot of people understand that with something as concrete as baseball. But with something like War and Peace, oftentimes the people who just don't get it assume that there's nothing there to get. Yeah, And that's a pretty silly, reductive place to be. So your understanding is inferior in a sense if you just don't like Pride and Prejudice, if you just don't get War and Peace. Now, that might be fine. You may have other things that are developed and good. And my understanding of math is inferior because I just don't get it. My head doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. But let's not understand like there's not some kind of objective value there that... It would be nice if everybody could get. Yeah, actually. So I have a a good friend who fits that exactly. He's not what you're saying. In other words, he he doesn't want to read War and Peace or Pride and Prejudice, but he doesn't think it's just because it's not what he wants to carve out time for. But That's he also fine. doesn't then yeah. he trusts and loves me and us enough that he then realizes that there must be something there for us, right? Yep. He doesn't see any reason to warn us against it. And he's the kind of guy that would. Anyways, so he's made that work for him. Right. right. And that's a great place to yeah. be. And may he never read War and Peace. The, per- the person who says, I read War and Peace and it was stupid. Yeah. That person is just being silly. They're just yeah. being. Yeah. So. And then. I don't so, get baseball and the problem is with me, not baseball. Yeah. I mean, and so. Yeah. And like, so my sons did Smithville Diamonds for a few, a couple of years. And I, I didn't grow up doing a lot of sports have nothing against sports, but we got there and I realized that there was something that the dads who coached and the parents who were there and the kids, they were getting real character development, real relationship and bonding and actually poetic moments. The same mm-hmm. sort of things that I draw from reading. They were getting, it's not the exact same, but they were still getting these experiences from this. And so was I. I mean, it was, there's some real, real things there that you don't want to miss out on. So. Yeah. And, and so some people are by, culture by class by taste by just breeding by like just family just like we have a baseball family we have a literature family whatever you're gonna be more inclined 
in certain directions and are going to know how to make use of the tools that are there for the same exact ends yep. better. Yeah. What got, what got me thinking about this is I read an article recently. Did I talk to you guys about this, about the great books? I don't think so. And uh, it was actually weirdly enough in the New Yorker. And this guy came out because there were these two books that were written about how the great books shouldn't be lost from college because they help kids figure out their morality and their ethics. And like, if no, if, if we don't have the great books courses anymore, where are kids going to learn how to be moral and ethical? And he, he said, I'm a, I'm a literature teacher at Harvard. And he said, and I think it's extraordinarily single-minded of us to think that the only place, yeah, I think, cause I said the, I couldn't remember what the word humanities, <laughs> remember this? Yeah, I remember now. I think it's extraordinarily single-minded of us to think that only the humanities provide this sort of insight. The yep. humanities is a source of it, but it's not the only place where it exists. And I think he's got a point. You know, I think that this whole idea that somehow reading Homer is going to make you a more moral person. And that's the only way to do it. And that's the only way to do it. And like, if you're not reading Homer, you have some key missing to your life. Mm -hmm. I think that's ridiculous. Yep. Now, I think that the student who has a teacher who wants him to read Homer and won't do it has a problem that needs to be addressed. That's a different, that's a different discussion, right? Yeah. And that's not to say there's not great value in shaping character through reading and discussing Homer. And that also anything is- else. It's just it, like, guys, there's more to life than one of these small avenues here. And what we want to be is complete people, well-rounded yeah. mm -hmm. people. And it makes you more sympathetic to the wider range, wide array of great, of books that people have that really, really meant a lot to them. When you really begin to drill down, you find out that it's usually because they had a great teacher who really made it mean something to them, right? And so, there's a whole world of things behind stuff like that. That's It's not well, just as easy as you go to Homer because Homer makes you the complete man. That's just, that's silly. There's only one book out there that makes you a complete man that you would not be well without, and that's the Bible. Right. So, I mean, as much as anything, I have a natural affinity for books and literature, but it's not one that I ever developed prior to this show. This show is as much for me a place of, hey, Brendan and Nathan are guys I love and respect, and they're ahead of me in this aspect of my life. I'm going to give myself to it and figure it out, and it'll make me a better person in the long run. Jump all in. So, Love you guys, too. And uh, Henry's saying hi. Hey, Henry. Hi, Henry. He says hi. He's also really sad. I didn't get him a cake pop, but I only got his no. sister Lucy a cake pop. Mm. They're $3 a piece, Henry. Yeah. Yeah, Henry, they're $3 a piece. You're not worth it. <laughs> tell, him, <laughs> tell him if he reads Homer, he might be worth yeah, the cake I mean, pop. And that is, I mean, I just see the oppressiveness of that, that way of looking at literature. Like there are these works that make it, like if you get this education, the great books education, suddenly you've made it and you're somebody that has more value than other people. I begin to realize, yeah, you know what? I can see sort of the Marxists, multiculturalist people getting mad at this and thinking, well, what if I grew up in a place where I don't have access to Homer and all this other sort of stuff? Does that make me mm. inferior to you, white boy? <laughs> You know, it begins to make sense why that makes pe so many people so angry. Because yeah. it's just completely, it's completely valuing 
it, it produces envy and jealousy for one, because God doesn't put everybody in a place where they can afford the sort of education that would give them that. Not yet. But, Not everybody has the privilege of growing up learning Latin yeah, or so, Greek. Anyways. Well, I am ruling in favor of Ender's Game. I'm inspired. We didn't even get to the outdated one yet. Yeah, everyone should that's, read this book. Your life kind of, is that's, incomplete. That's kind of a silly one here. Can I, can I just mention that real fast? Yeah. yeah was that, it's I think dated. it's got to be the silliest one. Because there were things in this book that didn't seem so dated. I mean, and that's I, one of the things that didn't hit me really about He this predicted book. One the of, internet for crying yeah, out so loud. That's one of the, the, one of the things that was most striking to me was, I mean, he, this is the cover of the book that we had, right? So it looks pretty current. And I just straight up had no idea how old this book was for most of the book. It's like anytime you read sci-fi like this, you're going to find things that are dated that can never be a criticism of sci-fi. It's trying to predict the future. It's trying to be, so it's going to be dated in its own particular ways. You went dated, go read Bradbury, but then to read this book and then discover that it was uh, written in the 70s, it's like, holy cow. Like the amount of understanding of the internet and VR and... Stuff like this that he figured out or that he had plotted was pretty incredible. What what is this guy Marshall as his evidence? Is is it like the sex politics that he doesn't like? Or a key element of the science fix because other otherwise I get his points and my argument against him would be that well that's just not the kind of sci-fi you go for and really you're kind of arguing against the genre you're claiming you're loving here. But with Star Trek, yeah. So let's see, a large part, so this kind of gives away what he thinks sci-fi is. A key element of the science fiction is making predictions that kind of hold up, which then makes sense why he likes some of the stuff he mentioned earlier. While it's okay to screw up occasionally, a lot of the key elements of Ender's Games are predictions that would just flop. For those who want more history of sci-fi, go back and listen to our context, right? Where we talk about, there are actually two different types of sci-fi. There's the sci-fi that's more conceptual. And then there's the sci-fi that is more technical. So I think he likes the technical sci-fi. Well, he's making a completely arbitrary decision that he can, or a definition that he can lump anything he likes and say, well, it was kind of kind of predicted. And anything he doesn't like, you can say, yeah, mostly didn't. It's so arbitrary. So he's but, saying the first edition, yeah, the Soviet Union is the enemy. And then after that, he replaced it with the Warsaw Pact, something that has not exactly you. held up. He says the, his interpretation of the internet is pretty stuck in the news group system of the era that when he wrote it, Card never foresaw the eventual degradation of the human race's attention span. But worth noting is that a lot of the elements, so this is, this is pretty funny stuff. Okay, um, so let's see, a lot of the stuff that makes it notable had already, he had taken it from other people like Starship Troopers or the Forever War. And here you go, drum roll. Also, it was only on this reread that I realized, and after, and here's my interpretation of the subtext here, drumroll, and after the Me Too movement, and after feminism, and being a modern man who is terrified that women might be reading this article, you realize that this book is pretty sexist. Sexist. This part jumped out, so you got it, you nailed it, Nathan. Why is it sexist? Just because Valentina is sweet and helpful to Ender, I guess? He's going to give some evidence. This part jumped out at me from the chapter where Graf is explaining Battle School. Essentially, Graf explains that Battle School is comprised of the following activities. Normal school, strategy and tactics, 
Zero gravity laser tag. You guys hear how sexist that is? That is, oh man, I'm angry. No. Let's, let's march. I think women well, can Nathan, partake in J- all of Jake, those things. Jake, that's why this guy has just beat you, man, because you don't see the sexism there. Then he just beat himself by being sexist and assuming girls can't partake of zero gravity laser tag. Oh, he, oh sorry. I guess I'm just... The tactics. When Ender asks he's, if he's the mis- program He's is, misgendering so these activities. Here's he's assigning them masculine values and traits, and he should not be. Here's Come on, guys. So when Ender asks if the program is all boys, Graf says, a few girls, they often don't pass the tests. Too many centuries of evolution are working against them. None of, the, none of them will be like Valentine anyway. Actually, so I recently talked to a Marine and he pretty much said the same thing, that few, there are a few girl Marines because they can't pass how difficult the tests are. But anyway. Well, I recently talked to a biologist and he said biology. I'm just saying that it seems to actually play out this way, that, you know, when you have, well, <laughs> you guys heard I about I just read news. the Army intro. In- entry level tests and they actually have separate standards for women yeah did you did you have you guys heard about the new jeopardy run yes oh yes isn't that hilarious the greatest female the greatest athletes female are men, are men the and the greatest female jeopardy contestants are also men that's <laughs> yeah, pretty funny i Some love the amazingly smirkings. huge snowflakes falling right now nathan you get a chance go outside or don't go outside but look these guys are like golf ball size Snowflakes. You sure it's not like the world's burning down around you? (laughs) It could be ash from the Tonga volcano. It's possible. Speaking of amazingly huge snowflakes, does this guy have any other points that are worth recapping? He says this is just dated sexual. He says this is Barbie levels of sexist. It's pretty well known by this point that Arthur, yeah, Orson Scott Card. What do you call it? Ad hominem attacks. Okay, well, I want to do, I, I want to see the amazingly large snowflakes. I'm declaring this guy guilty. What's this guy's name? Walter Wangerin. No. <laughs> Walter Wangerin. I'm <laughs> sentencing him to death by this is Walter, being eaten Walt by a giant worm. Walt Hickey. All right. Walt Hickey, I sentence you to be thrown into a pit where a giant w- worm that represents all evil will devour you along with Mundo Cunny Dog, and I find Ender's Game a fine novel. I do think you guys were too hard on the first point that the guy made. I think the novel would benefit from things just being a little bit more challenging for Ender. I admit that that's a matter of taste. Nathan, I'm pretty sure I agreed with you there. Yeah, I think you you let Jake have have it too easily. I was just fighting for the book, guys. I'm a good Uh defense attorney. I think you're well, just. I think you're just remembering what you want to remember, Nathan. I, I also think that most. I think the average person probably does enjoy a book with warmer characters than than this yeah, novel. I think that's has. true. That's I mean, part of the dystopia of it all, in my opinion. But yeah, yeah, it's not really a bug. It's a feature, but it's a feature that makes this book a lot less lovable than a Harry Potter. To take an yeah. obvious, Ender is not lovable the way that Harry is. And his brother and sister are both borderline sociopaths, and everybody's kind of a sociopath, and it's just it's just not yeah. as fun to read about a bunch of sociopaths. But yeah, it's a fine sci-fi book, and uh, you want to put this one in the time capsule, Brandon, since it's your new favorite novel? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm trying to find a Walter Rangren poem about snow, but I can't. There's no Walter so. Wangerin poem? Should we end this? I think this episode's been such a weird grab bag. We should end with a Walter Wangerin poem. So I'm looking for one right now. 
That's what I was hoping for. I found the same poems I read that one time. Da, 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 da. Oop, here's Christianity Today, I think, published some, so they must be good. I can see those on the camera here. Those are big snowflakes. Wait a second, you can see them through the camera? Yeah, he is. he's turned his... Oh, wow, you can see them on the camera. That's amazing. All right, I, I really want to go see those snowflakes, so let me just find a... Oh, nope, that's a story. Come on, poems. I need a Walter Wanger in poem. Oh, doesn't mean that she started. You guys excited about those Buccaneers? It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, and I think anyone that knows anything about it is less of a man than me because I know a lot about literature. Can he read about it in a Hemingway novel? If not, then forget it. Exactly. I only get my news from Hemingway. Is true. All right, guys. I think I'm not finding. I refuse to get my news that is not well written, so I don't read any news. <laughs> I think that's fair. I can't find a Walter Wengerin poem that is worth we haven't already done. So I'm just going to go to poetry.com and pull, maybe I can pull Dubliners from the shelf real quick. Snow falling faintly and faintly falling Faint. over all the living and the dead. Like the descent of their last end. I forgot that line. You know, it's stupid, but I almost want to put Dubliners in the stupid time capsule just for that story. That oh man, what a waste of a story. time. I mean, that story's better than 99% of anything that we've read. And that's yep. not. He was a genius who did not use his gift wisely. No, he did not. All right. I'm going to read a poem by Dorothea Lasky. This is the featured poem at the Poetry Foundation oh, for today. <laughs> you guys ready for this? Yep. I guess. It's called If You Can't Trust the Monitors. If you can't trust the monitors, then why do they have the monitors? If you can't trust the cars, then why have the cars? If you can't trust that I think you're hot, then why do you look so good, turning me on the way that you do? If you can't trust the people, then why have the people? If you can't trust the cards, then why have the cards? If you can't trust this room, then why have the room? Why not just an open space where you can be naked and fascinating? If you can't trust the milk in the bottles, then why have the bottles? If you can't trust the wine, the song, then why have the country? If you can't trust the kangaroo, then why go jumping? If you can't trust the sky, then why have the sky at all? If you can't trust the stars, then why look out? Why just not sit in your room? It's dark and safe anyway. If you can't trust what's dark and safe anyway, then why even bother? Then why even be here at all? I don't know. I just went and walked, but desire is hopeless. If you can't trust the windowsill, then why put the flowers there? Why not leave it bare? Oh, I did. And then what? After a while, anyway, the old sun, it burned it green, the windowsill. And when I, all I returned to the room, all I saw was green, grass green, like grass, but greener than a halting hue of it. And I forgot the flowers and I forgot you. If you can't trust the daybreak, then why have the daybreak? Why not sit? Let the night come. It won't stop itself. The hormones and all. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. But hey, at no was... point in your rambling, incoherent poem were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. 
or everyone on this musical... podcast is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points. So, and I just quoted Billy Madison, which is a far superior piece of literature than that and jake wins the argument right there <laughs> yep. that is when jake brings yep. it home and we she was the promoted poem today yeah <laughs> that, that was wasn't poetry poem. that was ridiculous oh my goodness no i, I well, will hey, say it guess reads what? better yeah i have been rejected by the poetry foundation <laughs> good for you good I know. I've only tried once, and they rejected me. And if this is what they accept, then I don't know if I would actually feel all that good about being accepted. I mean, let's be honest. I would feel you'd feel pretty good about being accepted, yeah. But still, I think we should put your bio should read was 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 up for entry into the Poetry Foundation or something like that. Yeah, this is. Oh man, did you guys see this guy who his bio says some some conservative writer his bio says was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize twice but it turns out you can submit yourself to the Pulitzer Prize <laughs> so all that really means is that he was one of thousands of people who sent their name in yeah so i'm just going to start applying to all these like i was considered for publication in the new yorker right exactly <laughs> uh, anyway know. you know i don't know what they're going to say but hey, you've missed the snow say. unless it's still at your house all right. Well, it's not here. It's not here anymore. Well, guys, I feel not good like about that. There's this precipitation, new... but not those massive snowflakes are gone. I That's feel good it. about the new year. I think the bookening is alive and kicking, and it's fun. Hey, we just. Gave I think people... we're better than anything Dorothy Alaski puts out. So. Hey, there's our T-shirt. <laughs> the bookening, better than Dorothy Alaski, the featured poetry poet of the. I should have gone with, there's one by Robert Pinsky. I probably should have done He's that. He's not even all that great. Two thumbs down for that stinker. He would have been better than what's her face. <laughs> all right. Two thumbs down for that stinker. Three thumbs up for the stinker that is the bookening. And that's a thumb from each of us. I guess six thumbs. <laughs> I don't know. Five stars. You don't oh, know. guys. You really can't do math. We did have a new review. Uh-oh. Two stars, really? Is that what we got? What's it say? Oh, I have I had it pulled up earlier, but it's not there anymore. Let me inconsistent last year. Two stars. All right, here we don't go. Tell us things we don't want to hear. You guys are so funny. I've listened. I love the... No, nope, oh. nope. Keep trying to like it. Two stars from Coley Blackall. I've listened to this podcast on off and on for almost four years, and it continues to disappoint me. The banter is really uninteresting. I fast forward most of it trying to find good content to listen to. I keep coming back to see if it's improved. Wow. No. You know, I'm looking at it in the podcast app on my computer. I should be looking at it. I got it here. I keep coming back to see if it's improved because I feel like I like the hostess people most of the time. And when they wholeheartedly love a book like Ishiguru, the podcasts are so great. But most of the time they seem to criticize books and it's just frustrating to listen to. They rarely second-guess their criticisms, try to check each other's criticisms, and often I feel like they misjudge and just really don't understand the book, or have a bizarre standard by which all books should fall into some predictable, redemptive arch or something. Oh, yeah, that's definitely what we think. Not sure. Just here to say, I've really, really given you guys lots of second chances, and every time I see you've done an episode on a book I like, I come to listen and I'm disappointed because it felt like a big 
waste of time. I hope you improve. I'm sorry. I don't want you to waste your time. And we definitely do talk a lot about that redemptive arch. So yeah, we'll try no. to do less of that in 2022. <laughs> is that the St. Louis arch? What is, what is the most redemptive arch? I think it might be the arch to triumph, but you know, each his own. I think it's the McDonald's arch. <laughs> the golden arch. I had arch. to redeem myself from Very that arch redemptive. this last couple of years. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Now, Brandon has redeemed himself. He's a very svelte and thin guy, and we do not appreciate any fat jokes, any pig jokes, any Jabba the Hutt jokes, any whale jokes about Brandon. I'm sure there uh, will not we, be any whale jokes as we read Moby Dick. No, in 2022, we are not making any... This is not a fat-shaming podcast. We are a fat-positive podcast. We love Brandon. We're a fat-positive podcast. Fat-positive and... Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say if we criticize a lot of books, then maybe those authors should have tried harder. Yep. Better luck next time, Dostoevsky. Yeah. <laughs> nice try, C.S. Oh, Lewis. man. Our criticisms, you know, they're not even really all that critical. We just love these books so much that we want to point out what's bad about them. You know, is maybe it's so because bad? I listened to... It's what makes an interesting podcast is if all we did was celebrate these books... Like Why do we have to be literature podcast? Yeah. Why do we well, have to pretend like these authors weren't men with failures? Then we can point out those failures. I, I think as a conservative, I'm just used to listening to podcasts that disagree with me. 90% of podcasts that I listen to are by liberals who hate my guts and I have to sift through it and I have to see what's good about the points they're making. So I'm like, of course you want a podcast where they vehemently, fundamentally disagree with you. That's half the fun. But lots of people... Just, just want, want to be validated, validated. Want to be validated or want an echo chamber. Oh, well. Better luck next time to us with our next review. Well, this year we promise to bring you more of the redemptive arch. <laughs> Should we have more uh, arch to triumph that section just in honor of this guy? Uh, sure. What is the most redemptive arch in the story? <laughs> the most redemptive arch in the story. I mean, we got to lean into this. I, I can't. I can't imagine... I can imagine you guys have mentioned redemptive arches in Sound of Sanity when you're making fun of that joker who talks about redemptive arches probably way too much. Brent McCracken. Yeah, I am probably. now looking at pictures of natural arches. The mm -hmm. Utah arch, right? Oh my that one. goodness. These things are gorgeous. We should go hey, visit some of the largest natural arches in the world. There's the Ferry Bridge in China. Guess what? It's amazing. Here's, here's what we'll do. Yeah. The Zhangshu Immortal Bridge. Can I get oh, you guys? Cool. Well, I don't know if I can get you guys to promise me this. Or yeah, not. landscape arch in, in Devil's Garden, Utah. That's amazing. If guys, if people get us to three thousand dollars before the end of this year, yeah, will you guys get muddy and crawl with me through a twelve hundred long foot crawlway to go record an episode on an arch <laughs> inside a cave? That's a pretty awesome arch. No. Okay. I, I like I the three thousand dollars part of that. That <laughs> was worth it. Five thousand. Twelve hundred foot crawlway, man. I'm sorry. I would freak out. I mean, my, I, would I am too claustrophobic. That's why, That's why I, there there was my shoulder. There was a scratch on my shoulder from where I had to pull myself through this crawl, and it was so nope. tight. It it gave it scratched me. No, nope. like left a mark. I I don't even nope. like to hear about that. In fact. This is the done. one I was telling you guys oh. about. It starts to pull on, the mud pulls on your shirt. Nope. And you have to like breathe in and pull your shirt up and then pull yourself. Nope. All right. I'll tell you what I want to pull It's the bendy on. parts that get me because I'm so long. The places where you have to bend awkwardly. It's a straight. It's straight. There's no bends. 
Jake's in, Nathan. What do no, you say, buddy? No, 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 Jake's no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I would still be terrified that I would have a panic attack and that I'd get stuck and yeah. kill myself and half of whoever was either ahead of me or behind me. Yeah, that would yeah, be no, terrible. It's not terrible. So what if the cave mind. collapses? Never mind. Never mind. I did get you guys to agree, but I think that died with at Christmas to repel <laughs> into a cave. I think that died at Christmas. <laughs> I think that's yep. what the agreement was good till, so... Repelling yeah. into a uh, cave through one of those big open holes about, at the top is not nearly as scary as going through these like. How about if they get type. us to two thousand dollars? We have to pose like these guys in that exact same outfit. We'll yeah, absolutely, do. absolutely, one hundred percent. Now, what is that? Tell people what that is so they can look up the picture. It's a mammoth. My daughter found this at half price books, and for some reason thought she wanted to buy it. And I think it was because these people reminded her of her papa daddy. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, obviously they all look like you. They're large so, men in leather vests. Yeah, we will be large men in leather, leather, leather vests for $3,000. We will, we so will replicate that picture. if you want to see us pose in leather vests and leather pants and nothing else mm-hmm. for $3,000. And one of us has to shave our head into a mohawk. You get to decide. If you get us to $3,000, you can decide which one of us that is. <laughs> we did make Jake wear a Elvis costume? What was the deal with that? <laughs> I forget what that was. <laughs> what was that? Oh, he was Elvis, the, El- the Elvish Elvis. Yes. He had to yeah, read he Elvish. He's in Elvish, yeah. Dressed as Elvis. That was amazing. And Jake was really happy to do that. And it was a good, a good time was had by all. <laughs> Listen, speaking of all. I'm a notoriously good sport about things like that, so. Yeah, J- Jake is, an, I think notorious <laughs> is the word for how good of a sport you are. Listen, guys, speaking of good sports, I'm going to say most of our patrons are good sports. So, boy, I don't know. Should we name what sport we think they'd be best at? Yep. Yep. I think we should do that. Robert and Rhonda, the Lovebirds. Football. The Artful Anthony Dodger. Dodgeball. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. Little Anthony Cigar (laughs) Store. Cricket. Yeah, with a little Anthony Cigar Store, it would be good at cricket. The Immortal Chelsea. No, no, no. He's cigars. I'm an idiot. Bullfighting. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Uh, uh, Immortal Chelsea E. Breakdancing. Little Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Beam, Little Annie Oakley. Uh, rifle shooting, long range shooting, whatever they would call it. Lily of the Valley. Free running. Andrew and Esther, the Lovebirds. The, they're Lovebirds? What do they call it? Uh, base jumping. Base jumping. Cool. Keith Master. Parkour. <laughs> David's Mighty Men Trucking. <laughs> Baseball. Keith Master. Parkour. Davis Mighty Men Trekking. Baseball. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. Gymnastics. Jane and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis, including till we have faces. They're cold, so they love hockey. <laughs> Your logic is sound as ever, sir. <laughs> Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Paragliding. Council Prime Adam. You say parrot gliding? Paragliding. Yep. That's what he said. Parrot gliding. The great sport of parrot gliding. You, say, you actually get have two parrots attached to your feet and you just glide along. It's amazing. Console Prime Adam. Console Prime Adam. He likes uh, air hockey. What about Nathan, not me? <laughs> Archery. Nice. Ryan the Red Avenger. Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Taekwondo. DJ Sammy G. Badminton. Benny and Danny Tiberius. Oh, there are, that's a no, that's Tiberius, that's Rome. What do they play in Rome? Lacrosse. They play, uh, yeah, the great Roman sport of lacrosse. <laughs> no, they play, uh, Colosseum stuff. 
Oh, gladiatorial uh, events. Yeah. Yeah. Gladiator stuff. There we uh, go. Betty and Danny Tibbers. Eric stuff. and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Tennis. Professor and Lady X. Oh, look, I'm getting popcorn delivered to me. Professor and Lady X, they love themselves. So, no narcissists. <laughs> Professor and Lady X. What did you say for them? Biathlon. Oh, uh, Lavender's Green Dylan Dunn? Pickleball. <laughs> no constrictor? Weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> Merit Cheap. Table tennis. The fair and fragrant maiden Chloe. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. You already say it to archery for someone, right? Yeah. I did, yeah. That seems like. Oh, yeah, equestrian. Equestrian. Horse. Let's play some riding. equestrian. Or Anthony, who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the pursuit of cheese and brick red. Volleyball. Jiu Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, that one's a given. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Basketball. Return of the Jedediah. That sport that that kid did on the YouTube video where he was trying to do the uh, lightsaber. Jabrack and Ruin. <laughs> Fencing. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. Kickball. Eric and Kate the Camp Chip Kings who are warm and love bees. <laughs> Hiking. <laughs> Matty, Matty, Matman. Skateboarding. Yeah. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Swimming. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, and Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. Snowboarding. Cold Steel Cody. Seems like he should be snowboarding. Skiing. Jacqueline, the Librarian Barbarian. Surfing. John Babadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Tennille, his mate. Ultimate Frisbee. Saxophone Alex. Disc Off. The other Saxophone Alex and a Dubstep a Denny. Only because I know he actually enjoys this sport just as much as I do. Wild Caving. Ryan the Terror of Texas and Eric of the Cream and Kimson, who are no longer stuck in the cold, but please do send cheese. Windsurfing. Ben Solo and Kylo Ren. Free solo climbing. All right, we are halfway done. John the Cosmic King oh, of wow. Chaos. Quidditch. We are, we are more are like you serious. We're only halfway, halfway done. done. No, it was a joke. Matthew the Mind Flayer. Dog agility. <laughs> what is dog agility? Dogs have to navigate through a course that has various types of <laughs> obstacles under the direction of a handler. Oh, then it has in parentheses, not a sport. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know why it's in this list of sports that, that I have not been reading from until this exact moment. Okay, well, you picked a bad moment and place in the list. Any are you okay, get drift, your gun? Drifting. They're for drifting. Drifting. Like Tokyo drifting. Tokyo drifting. <laughs> yeah, the Tokyo best drifting. kind. Flight of the Valerie. Uh, BMX. Thor Ragnajosh. Golf. <laughs> Stephen dot dot dot. Scuba diving. Peglodon. What's the oldest of all sports? Running, track and field. <laughs> What's the oldest of all sports? Peglodon. You know, that sounds like dinosaurs. That's true. Christopher the Flower Hulk. Wrestling. Lady of the Crystal Lake. Lady of the Crystal Lake. Ooh. Uh, tournament jousting. <laughs> tournament jousting. <laughs> Ian the Death of Marion, Lord of Death. Muay Thai. Emily H. <laughs> Sorry, Emily Nightshade, the Hunter of Dreams, I should say. Just because this is what makes me laugh. Finish Skittles. Opposing like what you do when you have a big bowl of Skittles in front of you? Opponents Skittles. Huh. And I will leave you that, the rest of your imagination because I don't know what that means. <laughs> I do. Observe. After Nathan names the next uh, person. Yeah, okay. Uh, sorry. The next person is coming. I lost the list. There we go. All about the Benjamin. Bowling. Mysterious Phantom. 
Oh, this is me? Oh, man. What's appropriate for the Mysterious Phantom? What's that thing where they spin the ribbons? Ribbon dancing. What's <laughs> <laughs> that thing where they dance and they sp- there's ribbons? Jeremy, the dark-hooded Lord of Death, and of course, his brooding bride, Maya! All right, guys, I have a few new ones to introduce here, so get your sports ready. But I have to figure out who they are, because I think there's two of them, and I only have one listed here, which I believe is a mistake. I feel like we've missed some major sports here. Yeah, well, we've I mean, avoided I we rugby ever... and soccer and maybe baseball. Yeah, I don't think we said baseball. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we said America's pastime. It's, uh, DMM, David's Mighty Men Trucking. They got baseball. Do they? Inappropriately so. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, The only one who would be more fitting is if Jake were patron. Let's see here. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. I have two new ones. Okay. Well, I think so. Yeah. All right. So, new one number one. We have yet another J to introduce to the fold. Okay. So, he needs a name. Let me think. Welcome, J. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Jailbird, Jaybird, Jail, Jaybird Crow, Jailhouse Rock, J Blue J. No, because we were gonna do that book and then didn't. What's a cool book with the na- or movie title with the name Day that it could be Jaybreak, Jay of the Dead? It's probably something along those lines. Jay of Thunder, Remains of the J, Remains of the J, like Remains that. of the J ain't bad. Remains of the J. Remains of the J. I like Remains of the J. The J All at right. the races. The J at the races. Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery J. <laughs> <laughs> Groundhog J. I do like Groundhog J. And I like Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery J. <laughs> but what was the actual not total piece of crap that we came up with a Remains of the J. Remains of the J. Okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Remains of the J. All right, and we also have, well, let's give a hearty He's booking. a bass fisher, by the way. Jay? Oh, we're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about the bass. The bass. The bass. Okay, Abram and Sarah. Welcome to Abram and Sarah. Hey, Abram and Sarah. Welcome to supporting the podcast. Hey. Hey. And let's see. Association football. Association football. Excellent choice. But what should their names be did we ever do anything with remains of the j or is he gonna be last no j he's Jake. bass fishing he's bass fishing that's why oh, i was saying all fishing. about the bass it's abram and sarah i mean yeah i mean that's straight from the bible right so right straight from the bible straight bible yeah that doesn't i don't know that, that provides a name father abram they're canaan bound canaan bound <sighs> abram and sarah uh does Abram hess around? Ram, that is—is is there a pun here? Abram and Sarah are hard names to pun. They don't really rhyme with much. Abram and Sarah, who don't really rhyme with much. Abram, uh, we might have to work on that one. Abram, the strong. Sarah the wrong. Yeah, Abram the strong and Sarah the wrong. That's good. Abram uh, the door jam is listed as a. Door Abram the door jam and Abram the program. Abram the door jam and Sarah who makes jam. <laughs> Abram the wild yam. Abram the tam tam. Abram the tam tam. I think we got it. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. 
Boy. People are seeing how the sausage is made, guys. Bam. Hey, Bram. What does Bram rhyme, rhyme with? Bam. Bam. Cam. Clam. Cram. Cram. Bam. Flam. Gram. Jam. Ham. Lamb. Ma'am. Pam. Pram. Abraham Stoker and Sarah, his undead bride. Scram. None of those things are really... Slam, so spam. To hear my wonderful suggestion. <laughs> Wham, yeah, yeah, we heard it. <laughs> Ab- <laughs> say it again. Abraham Stoker and Sarah has undead bride. Abraham Stoker and Sarah has undead bride. That's pretty lame, I have to say. What about Abraham? What are movie title like? There's damn Yankees. It could be Abraham Yankees. There's not a lot of puns here. United States of Sarah. Man, this one's tough. What do we know about them? Well, he's a dentist. Okay. She's a housewife, I think. He's the... Abraham the Tooth Puller. Fairy. Ab- <laughs> the Keeper of Teeth. <laughs> the Keeper Abraham of... The Keeper of Abraham what's, what's, the, what's the riddle about teeth? 30 whatever 30. horses on a red hill. First they champ, then they stamp, then they stand still. Abram, you can't handle the tooth. He can't handle the tooth. Abram, who can handle the tooth. And Sarah. Abram, the puller of teeth, and Sarah, his bride. The teether of... The teether of pool. (laughs) Abram, the teether of pool, and Sarah, his bride. All right. I think we're going to have to workshop this one. You guys are going to have an amazing name by next time. No. But we won't. We won't make anyone out listen to it anymore. So for today, we'll give you the lame name of Abram, the puller of teeth, and Sarah, the teether of pull. That sucks. I'm ashamed to leave it there. I love it. I think it's great. Okay. Brandon loves it. He's eating popcorn. I think that means it's time to go. All right. Somebody say something clever. Something Something clever. Something clever. Something clever.